0: It's time for an E3 special, completely unnecessary podcast for Friday? Friday, June 17th. I'm doing this on my Friday 2016. What else would you be doing on a Friday? Hanging out with Frank and seeing him get drunker into an oblivion I guess <laughs> while eating candy we get from the local candy shop alongside Ian Ferguson Howdy. am Pat Contra, yes it's an E3 special we did one of these a couple years ago I remember um, we be talking about Microsoft unveiling multitudes of different console variations uh, the Xbox Play Anywhere Sony, Star Trek, Bridge Crew VR game, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and uh, there's a couple of uh, retro style console reveals also at E3 and also GameStop shenanigans, uh, Warcraft stuff, and your Q and E, e, e? Ian, your Q and Ean. questions, and, <laughs> question and Ian. Eans.
1: We're gonna sound like old men on this podcast because I got to be honest with you. Just leading into this, I, the excitement over E3 for me has all but basically faded, uh-huh. and I don't know if you really followed it at all either. But I think in general. The excitement for this E3 was low. Even even my the people on my timeline and the journalists reporting on it seemed like they were really forcing the enthusiasm for some of this. Speaking of forcing your enthusiasm, Ian, you're skipping over our sponsors. Is we no, I I, I, well, there. you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just <laughs> I'm just stating that you know, leading into this, this might not be the most amusing. Uh, <laughs> we're not we're not going to shed the most light, but hey. We do have some lovely sponsors. Uh, Our first sponsor is ArcadeWorks. ArcadeWorks is the maker of the Omega Entertainment Machine. Hands down the best way to play Neo Geo arcade games from the comfort of your own couch. Sporting a design inspired by the legendary home system, the Omega utilizes the low-cost MVS format to finally put Neo Geo Gaming within financial reach. Each Omega ships with the latest Unibios and the optional VMC memory card upgrade lets players save their progress and high scores, so get yours today at ArcadeWorks.net. Use coupon code OMEGANOW for $10 off the purchase of an Omega Entertainment Machine. Thanks, Arcade Works.
0: New to the web, but not new to the game, GeekMixology.com is an up-and-coming place where vodka meets video games. That sounds actually pretty good. I'd like to beat that place. At Geek Mixology, you will find creative cocktails made by experienced mixologists and diehard gamers. We're not only fans of the retro gaming community, but contributors as well. Please stop by our little spot on the web and stay tuned for new videos, drink recipes, uh, black hole uh, drunkenness, no. And upcoming events. We at Geek Mixology are huge fans, huge fans of the CU podcast.
1: They sent me a picture of a drink they had made for me called Ian's Elixir or something that uh, I really want to try. It, your it, your looked, it looked like a cup of booze uh, with a whole great popsicle in it, and I was very, very excited. Like a real great popsicle, not a facsimile? Nope, just a real great popsicle, just like stuck right in the top. It looked fantastic.
0: Uh, if you want to be, by the way, if you want to be a sponsor of the CU podcast, send an email to podcast at com, and one of our salespeople will get back to you, meaning me. It's going to be like uh, a fucking team with rotary yeah. phones. <laughs> <laughs> or those big buttons, or the, or the whole buttons are blinking red. <laughs> yep. How please. Uh, so uh, we got some things going on. E3, real quick, though, uh, I'm happy, Ian. 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. Congratulations. You're, you're, you're part of that. You're you're a smidgen of that success, but a smidge. It only took eight fucking years to get there, but I did it. Very, Very nice. So it's, you know, uh, it was interesting if you look at the trajectory, and you can still you still you can still go on websites and see the growth. Like it'll just be like this, you know, like fifty subscribers, you know, for the first five six months, you know, then it goes up a little bit. Um, yeah, the first I, I, I misspoke in the video. I said the first forty five years there was three thousand subscribers, but no, three years in it was only three thousand subscribers. That I know for a fact definitely two years, because when I was... I remember when I went to SGC, which was really the first convention I had a panel, it was less than, like, 2,000 subscribers. It was, like, probably 1,800 or so. Um, and I definitely only had about 3,000 when I did the crossover with James, and that was 2011. Uh, so that was the middle of 2011. So, uh, it's very interesting the how YouTube works, and uh, I probably should have focused more on YouTube. It's just my fault, where I kind of stopped posting my videos right away to YouTube for like a good, like, two years because I wasn't partnered on partnered on YouTube I couldn't make money off it at all so it was Blip everyone was doing Blip because Blip had these insane uh CPM uh, payouts where it was like $25 CPM it was like oh wow it's free money and that's why they got bought out because they weren't making any money they couldn't sustain it right. they went through like multiple rounds of ve- venture capitalism you know funding um so that probably hurt me but no it's still a good accomplishment obviously the podcast helps with that and the other content and I brought up in the video the possibility of the patenting Tuesdays, and overwhelmingly people are like, yes, we must have patenting Tuesdays. Sweet. But a lot of people are also like, we want it unedited. And it's like, yeah, we do that, or cut them up into eight different videos and do like part one every day. Saying, I just yeah. want to
1: beat the shit out of you in Fire Pro.
0: That's all I want to do. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We still have to make our custom characters, but that could that could just be an episode of us making our characters. Yeah, I know. I should. You know what? If I find if that ram cart in that closet still works with my six man scramble, you might have Pat circa ninety nine still on there. Uh, I think I um my, my mom recently sent me a box of stuff from the basement.
1: A lot of it's going to be going to too many games. By the way, we're going to too many games. That's a well, fuck. That's, a, That's a, fuck. a week from today.
0: Uh, yes, that is Friday the twenty fourth to the twenty sixth. Ian has a shmup. Shooter. Yeah, don't really know what I'm doing on it, but we're we're
1: gonna we're gonna talk <laughs> shooters. We're gonna we're gonna play some shooters.
0: <laughs>
1: I'll give out some prizes. Um, but I think uh, my copy of Fire Pro G is in there, and I still have my
0: Fire Pro G save file somewhere, I believe. So we could even go that far back. You know what? I was so disappointed with Fire Pro G, and this, and I remember buying that as well. I also bought that at electronic boutique, uh, the import copy because I think I think at that point I still wasn't buying them on eBay. But I think they got that at Electronic Boutique. I definitely got Six Man Scramble at Electronic Boutique sure. back in like '99 or so when I bought it. I bought, had to buy my Saturn at uh, at, uh, at Funko Land. But um, th- there was two glitch moves in Fire Pro G for PlayStation, and one he was my favorite wrestler, Chris Benoit. The Crippler Crossface could not end in, end the match in that game. It was one of two yeah. moves where they fucked it up for some reason, and you can just do it forever, and then but he, no one would tap out, so it was a glitch and it annoyed me because I like Chris Benoit and that was the first time that move was in the game right. Fire Pro G added a ton more moves now everyone just tuned out because it's, no one cares but Fire Pro G added like double the amount of moves it was ridiculous anyway <laughs> so we're going to be there uh, Ian's going to have a panel Friday uh, I'm going to have a panel Saturday and then we're going to have a live CU podcast on I think like Sunday around 1 something like that something like that we'll get out in time I have a later flight than Ian but I'm going to try to get on his flight because we have the same flight the connecting flight coming back from Arizona so that's going to be fun. Also, how about a Comic Con panel? Oh, we, yes. We, we are not allowed, per Comic Con rules, we cannot say the day or time because for some reason that's the rules. But we can say that we're going to have a com, uh, Comic Con panel uh, sometime during the four days at Comic Con, which is like July 17th or so. This or makes
1: our e-penises huge. Yep, yep,
0: yep. <sighs> Lifting the table up right now. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be about. Be, 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 be. About retro video games and video game history. What else? With Andre Meadows of Black Nerd Comedy fame, Pixel Dan, who we know and love, and good old James Rolfe uh, of Cinemaster Angry Video Game Nerd fame. It's going to be fun. Uh, we we can do giveaways, but you have to like. Uh, sorry, officially you have to like say what you're giving away, how you be, you will be giving it out. You can't throw it out to the crowd. It's not like us throwing out the dum dums. By the way. A shame pack some dum-dums because I still have a lot left for too many games. <laughs> okay. Seriously. There's a whole See if we can put someone's eye out this time. Yes. I, that was probably the best decision at Portland last year. Just chucking them willy-nilly. One hit a guy in the chest I wasn't even looking. I was like, oh shit, that was probably dangerous. <laughs> uh a dum-dum. And other than that, check out the new Path the Animus Punk video that uh, Ian will never watch. Nope. Uh, Batman v Superman. I uh, get about five digs of Snyder in there though, so it might be worth oh, it. okay. your that. interest, I yeah. might finally get you over that disinterest uh, and he has punk hump. So, E3 came and went. I want to say it was. I think overall, you 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 said before the sponsorship a uh, portion that uh, people didn't seem that excited. It seemed like there was some there was some manufactured buzz it was like it was like holy shit but it was like yeah there's some cool stuff here it wasn't like the worst E3 I'd put it like in the middle somewhere
1: no it wasn't the worst but I really do feel like a lot of my friends were trying very 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 hard to be more excited than they were um and I I, that's understandable but holding on to this notion that E3 matters and we'll get to that later it's over (laughs) <laughs> I, th- I think it's just over. It's over. I mean, a lot of the stuff people even wanted us to talk about tonight about E3 was stuff from last E3. Like Last and Guardian. And E3 before. Yeah. And it's just, I don't have anything more to say about it. We can't, we can't do a segment on it. E3's gotten to the point where a bunch of uh, two dickwads like us can't even talk about something for three to four minutes because it's been said before. This is not, I mean, E3 used to be your huge info dump every year, and that's what you look forward to, and now it's all just trickled out year-round.
0: Sure. So let's start with Microsoft and, uh, you know, revealing 14 different Xbox consoles. This is the most confusing part of E3, even, I think so Even far. one of the articles or, I read was wrong was... about what, what these are. Let's start with the Xbox One S. So the, the Xbox One S is, you know, they did it with the 360 where they had a slim version that came out. Uh, it's the same thing. Xbox One S is basically slim. Yep. Uh, the first version is going to come out in, in August. Uh, originally, they said that was going to be a 299 one, but another article I saw said that no, 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 no. The first version coming out of the Xbox One S and all is going to be 399. That's going to be the two terabyte hard drive version. Then the later ones that'll be one terabyte and 500 gigs will be later in December, and those will be be uh, probably 299 and under. So, what the hell is the Xbox One S, and will it actually matter? So, the Xbox One S is going to have the same exact. It's basically. The the Xbox One guts correct. It's just forty percent smaller the the console, so they managed to shrink it with a shrink ray. I think I think they said it at the they said at E three they use a shrink ray. Yeah, and then the the power supply will be internal, which is nice because those things are fucking huge and expensive. Does that mean there might be too much heat in there
1: though? Um, it's Over a possibility, which is something that concerns me. Um, anytime a, a system goes slim, I mean, you you, you can go good or bad. Uh, with Microsoft I'm always worried about overheating issues and this is one of the first times I think this is I think this is the first time and someone can correct me if I'm wrong but this is the first time since the original Xbox that Microsoft has put the power brick or the power supply inside of the system that worries me Um, now from a retail standpoint the Xbox One hasn't been coming in with a whole lot of overheating
0: issues but uh, damn if this couldn't possibly cause them well, you think that they would have learned their lesson after the cheap, you know, cheap production run of the original Xbox for the for what the first couple of years, Xbox. and that had an external uh, power PC. supply. Yeah, and it still has so much heat. All right, so let's talk about what is the One that's going to have. Uh, the One S is not going to have 4K output. No, it will have 4K Blu-ray output though for movies. Okay, so if you're into the Blu-ray scene, that's good. But for gaming, it won't. It's going to have HDR. So, what HDR is in a nutshell, it's better color contrast. It looks more realistic. The con- You ever guys ever hear of contrast ratio? Yes. It's basically, what is the range of, of colors in the spectrum from black to white? I'm really butchering probably this. You know, like, like what's the analog, you know, I guess, like, uh, gradient? Sure. How wide is it? You know, like, how many different types of reds are there versus types of blues? Versus You know what I mean? So, this... Uh, ups the ante there, so I'm, so it will look better. It won't be sharper, I think. See, because HDR is even sort of confusing. It's like yeah, uh, and plus your TV's is gonna have to support it because if, if if the contrast ratio of your TV doesn't match what this is gonna put out, the Xbox One S, what's gonna be, it probably won't matter. Yeah, anywhere. that's
1: something people seem to forget is that if you buy higher end tech, but the tech you're running it through isn't compatible with it, you're not you're not gonna get any benefit out of it. It's
0: garbage in, garbage out, basically. Yeah. So so in that respects is it a game changer? No, it's nice. It looks like the uh it's going to it's going to come with a, a controller that's going to be sort of a, a smaller better version of the controller from what I see. And an, an HDR stands for a high dynamic range by the way. But yes, performance has not improved. So if you don't have an Xbox 1, you can he- hold off until August. My- or, or wait for the price to drop once that comes out. Here's my issue with that,
1: though, and this is, so we have for three ninety nine a smaller version, with its main benefit being this high dynamic range that maybe not everyone can take advantage of. And
0: four K Blu-ray.
1: And four K Blu-ray. If anyone has them, for three ninety nine, you can get an Xbox One for about two fifty to three hundred right now. Uh, no, nope. no. I think they're like two fifty to two eighty used. Uh, you can get them new for I think three to three fifty. Um, I'd have to double check that. Luna doesn't deal in a whole lot of new consoles. Um, paying three ninety nine for a smaller model, it, even even with two terabytes, that seems. I don't know. I, I, that doesn't necessarily appeal to me, and here's the reason why. Uh, in if. It, at $299 initially when people talked about it, um, that actually might have been, been something that could, could interest people. 299 smaller, slimmer, uh, some newer features, sounds like a decent price, but you're not getting that until Christmas. Now here's the issue. At Christmas time when you can buy this 299 model, we're a year away from Microsoft's other big announcement, which is Project Scorpio. Now Project Scorpio to me sounds like a beefier version of what PS4 is doing with the Neo. The Project Scorpio is a beefed up um Xbox One, uh four K output, uh six teraflops of power of f- whatever the fuck it is. Of flopping. Um VR ready outside of the box with a ship uh PowerShip, a partnership with Oculus Rift. Um Because remember, yeah, to do proper VR, you need a lot of computing power. Yes, exactly. So, to me, this reminds me of the situation where Nintendo released the DSi and the DSi XL moments before they announced the 3DS, which is kind of probably how Microsoft wanted to do it, but it got leaked. And I feel like what they're doing here is they're... Well, they had a video at E3, but they didn't want to focus on it, I don't think. But I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. Why put all this effort into a remodel of a system that is only technically going to be cheaper or like i don't know i guess budget priced for a year once the 299 model comes out when an even better model is coming out a year later i i this it's is strange. this is extremely confusing to me and i honestly don't know what they're going for it's, here
0: it's not only strange it's not good business sense uh, to say that you know, it's kind of like Nintendo saying they don't want to say that the NX is going to take over for the Wii U. But here, you have to say that Scorpio is going to take over for at least the Xbox One. You'd think that it's going to be it's going to be next year, four years after the Xbox One is launched. Correct by next December, maybe four years. Yes. So that's the you know maybe two thirds through a, a typical Microsoft console lifespan. Four years are usually like six. You know, so at that point, you might as well say then we're going to cut our ties. But it sounds like the Scorpio, the game's coming out, and the Scorpio will still be supported by the Xbox One. Right, and this, have is, to be.
1: this is what I I was going to say. Th- what the Scorpio seems like, and on a power level, I'm going to admit I don't, I don't know everything here, but the Scorpio seems to be an answer to the PlayStation 4 Neo, which we're not going to talk about in a lot of detail. And E3, have, there was no, there nothing, was nothing no and we had talked about it prior, but um, that comes out this fall. Um, and it sounds like it's doing the same, that Scorpio is going to be doing the same sort of thing. Increased power, but everything is going to have to run across all the platforms, which means that the games are going to have a mode that will take advantage of the, uh, Scorpio's power. Um, if they're programmed for it, if they're programmed, well, well, at least with the Neo, everything has to have an optimized Neo mode, uh, in there. Um, how they'll handle it with like Sony won't allow special features. We'll see what Xbox does. They're releasing this almost a year and a half after the PS4 Neo will will
0: be out. I don't know. It just seems it's like this, uh, like uh hopscotch, not scotch, like f- frog jumping each other. We have the more powerful console now. now. We have it every year now.
1: But a year and a half later, how much is it going to matter? Because we have to remember, a year and a half later is is just so much further into the console generation that... you're these no this, this constant reiteration with more and more power... There's no more generations. There's no more generations. It's over. And it's, I'm going to talk about this even more. Uh, you've basically just admitted that your consoles don't matter and everything is going right. to be taken. Uh, this this is a yeah. PC.
0: Who this, has more horsepower? That's what's going to matter, right? Who can run these these games bigger and better? Uh, Scorpio Xbox had this promo video with with these developers saying, "Oh, this is going to give us the power to do whatever we want," and blah blah. blah. I feel like saying, "Yeah, that's great." But what about all the millions of people that have the the inferior version? You have to make sure they can play your game too, because they're promising that you are going to have to do that. Obviously, they're going to cut the chain at some point. Or cut the chain, cut the wire off, or whatever. Either you've either you effectively
1: destroyed and split your fan base, or you admit that console generations, even if they have the same name, have gone from eight years to two years. But they basically, and
0: they basically, these Microsoft people basically admitted that it's not about generations anymore.
1: No, I, I well, I know, and, but that's and that's very strange to me, and and, and for, that that goes into well, we'll get there, but um, I. With the cost of consoles, it no longer makes sense. It's like Microsoft is actively, with these decisions, trying to push people away from consoles so that, I don't want to sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist here, but so that they can gracefully exit the console realm and focus on Windows 10.
0: Or, or they're trying to squeeze as much blood from a stone by doing this, realizing that hey, this could be our last hurrah with the Scorpio. No,
1: that's kind of what I'm uh, getting at. Like that, this, is, this is it. This is it. We're going to push it. We're going to say right now before people can criticize us that we're treating this like a, like a PC, and
0: then we're going to gracefully bow out. Right, that could be an approach. That could be an approach. Because at this point, yeah, can you afford every three years to spend $400 or $500 five hundred on a new console? Basically, that's what it's going to be. When you could do that with a PC for a fraction of cost with in- incremental upgrades. Or the same cost, and then it'll be good for like five, six, seven. It'll be, it'll be good for longer. A console generation. Yeah. Or, well, it used to be console generations, but not Close. anymore. Now they're just like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they are anymore. But I just think it's uh, It's not shocking. I called it the beginning of this generation, this was it. I mean, it has to be. Because now they're, they're, they're basically saying they're computers. They're, basically, they're coming out basically saying it. Um so, I think what's going to happen is... To me, it's going to come down to just price point. I also think it's interesting that Microsoft is banking on this VR out-of-the-box bullshit. Because they're banking on that not being a gimmick. And I'm still not convinced it isn't going to be a niche product gimmick, still. It, unless unless it's going to be something used by at least 40% of the people. Don't, don't base your console's hardware around it or, or tout that as a major selling point. Because look at what happened with the Connect. Did anyone utter the words Connect? At E3,
1: I sold one today. You sold one today. At an Xbox 360 Kinect guy was real excited. It
0: was t- we sold it to him for ten dollars because remember, <laughs> remember the Xbox One, um, they touted it as being this, uh, you know, this media box machine. So they realized that no one wanted a game console for that. That is and something they abandoned else. It.
1: That's something else that they are putting in the uh, the One S, I believe, is instead of like a Kinect, they've. Hilariously, added a feature, some sort of thing that will allow you to control your TV without using the the, but, the, the connect. Because, engine, everyone, because yeah. everyone's using their Xbox yeah. One right now to control their cable anyway. That, that
0: engineer team's really pushing for that to come back because that really did gangbusters four years ago <laughs> at E3. <laughs> But the other weird thing is just that. Remember when when the Xbox One came out and had that disastrous E3, whenever it was, three four years ago before it came out. The um, only year
1: where I can say because I hate this win loss thing, but it's the only year I can say someone clearly lost. Yeah, okay, an E3. They, yeah that, I hate
0: using that as well, but they, they got their asses kicked. Yeah, uh, yes. I mean that was insane. When you have to do a turnaround at the E3 event within, <laughs> within a day, and say, oh, no, we we we're, we're getting rid of all that uh, you know DRM bullshit and yeah. Um, we're sorry, but we're sorry, but the Xbox One was less powerful. Than the PS4, uh, not by a lot, but but enough that people can notice it a little bit. So now this is their response: that's saying, "Oh, now we're going back, we're going away from this other horseshit and back to power, power. That's the most important thing on the console. That's the most important part of the experience. Well, we'll see if it works for them because the Xbox One, you know, lagging in sales uh, to, to the, the PlayStation 4. I just think the consumer is going to lose here. I, I think overall, just because uh, I think people are going to get screwed this Christmas, they're going to end up buying." Um, this this 1S uh, or Slim, it's a fucking 1Slim, and then they're going to ask for it again in the next Christmas. Mommy, Daddy, I want the next box. We just bought you one last year. Yeah. That's going to happen to a million people. Yep. Because per- uh, yeah, not,
1: not every consumer not gonna is going to be informed, and they're not yeah. going to do the research. I'd say, you know, wait the two years and, and see what happens. At least so far, with what we know about the Neo, it seems like
0: kind of a one-and-done thing, and even that I'm not huge on. But... And then plus you're going to get into that situation where it's going to be like, yeah, it's like having an old PC where, hey, if you want to play that new game, you better run it on medium settings. Right. Or else you, you put on high, you're going to get like 20 frames a second playing that Unreal Tournament 2004, like I used to get, where it's like, ooh, I got to turn down all. <laughs> Bring those sliders down. Right. <laughs> Furthering
1: this idea that, I mean, consoles are dead, we have this announcement um, of the Xbox Play Anywhere initiative. Um, which on the surface is kind of cool. Uh, Basically, and this mostly is going to apply, I believe, only to games that Microsoft has a hand in, but if you buy a game for your Xbox One, uh, you will be able to play it uh, on Windows 10. Um, This does not mean that there will be cross-play. They've been very, very clear about saying that this does not mean that there will be cross-play between the Windows 10 platform and the Xbox One platform. But it will allow you to transfer saves and progress for single-player games, probably online multiplayer profiles, things of that nature. But then, this kind of continues this What's what's the fucking point of having the console? I mean, we're really blurring lines here now, people. You buy one game, you can play it on your PC, or you can play it on, oh, uh, on your Xbox One. If lines, you buy a first-person shooter... I wish you would stop singing forever. <laughs> you still have blurred lines, I'm sorry. Um, but, I mean, if you, say you're buying a first-person shooter for your Xbox One, and you can play it on Windows 10... What are you going to do? Are you going to use your mouse and your keyboard, or are you going to sit down and
0: play it on the console? Depends what you're used to, honestly.
1: It is, but there's, I mean, if you're playing with friends, or you're playing competitively, and they all have that choice, you know, a first-person shooter is always going to, you're always going to have the advantage on a PC. Okay,
0: so these are some of the lists of some of the games that are going to be compatible with. The first one they revealed was Gears of War 4. I want Unreal Tournament, goddammit. Uh Gears of War 4, Forza Horizon 3, Halo Wars 2, State of Decay 2. I'm not familiar with that series. Uh, Killer Instinct Season 3. They're still doing the seasons. Crackdown 3, and it says in a few more here. So what I'm guessing is that... Okay, the games compatible with this feature will be marked in the Xbox Store and in the Windows Store with the Xbox Play. okay. That's what I was wondering. I was wondering if it was just for games bought on the Xbox. No, so like it looks, yes, I, I should have clarified that. That's really interesting because that's a cross-promotion. Let's put it this way. If you have the Xbox, it might persuade you to finally... Uh, Click one of those annoying fucking tabs away to finally install Windows tabs. And say, oh, I can play, uh, I can play Forza Horizon 3 on my computer as well. If it can handle it, I can do that. I highly doubt many people buying the PC version are then going to go buy an Xbox One to play it on a console. Sure. And, and the weird thing
1: is, is, um, Sony did this with the Vita and the PS4 and, and to a degree, the PS3. It was called Crossbuy. And I loved it. But the diff, the, the huge difference here is, uh, the Vita's a portable, so I could take that game anywhere I wanted to, and the PS3 and the PS4 were sit-down consoles. Generally, you're sitting down and playing a computer game, or you're sitting down and playing a console game, and if you've got a gaming desktop, they're both in the same house. So, I mean, I just... this is a neat-sounding feature, and I'm not trying to shit on anything Microsoft is doing to make things more convenient for consumers, but once again, I'm not exactly sure how many people this is going to benefit, and it continues to, I don't know, it, it, it continues to make it sound like Microsoft is saying the Xbox One is not going to matter in short time.
0: Or at least long term. Right. Ten years down the line, you, after after these moves, you think you're going to do it or bother? No. What's the point? Because they're already cannibalizing sales and don't care about it. Right. Not to a large degree, but potentially, if you wanted to play the games on both consoles, it, you wouldn't, though. I mean, who do, who actually has done that in their life? Probably 1% of people said, oh, I like the game on my console, I'm going to buy it on the PC. It's probably very, very rare. Um, especially since in the past, well, usually in the past, the PC version would come out afterwards, but now these are going to be simultaneous. Uh, yeah, this is it. I mean, that's, that's all I can say about it. You know, they're basically saying, our exclusives are not exclusive anymore to consoles.
1: Right. I mean, it's at least going to have that PC release. And they're
0: saying we want to maximize our sales. We don't give a shit where the software sales come because from, but we the, want them.
1: The exclusives used to be that they were console exclusives, but now let's say someone has a Sony PlayStation and a Windows 10 computer, then there's no question anymore. Why would you even think about buying the Xbox console? Yeah. Unless you're a brand loyalist. If you have a Nintendo a Sony console, and a PC, you've got everything. And as time goes on, I and I don't think Microsoft is the only company guilty of this. I think we're going to see a lot of this with Sony, too. I think we're going to see a lot of these console developers end up making PC ports of tons of these games, and eventually it's just not going to matter.
0: Yeah. I, I Well, plus, look at it this way. I always, I always looked at it for, well, Sony and Microsoft, they don't make a huge amount of profit on their consoles they're basically to sell the exclusive software anyway. No,
1: at at, at
0: first and I
1: mean I, I you know it's it's changed a little bit in, in, over the years and Nintendo's always made a profit on a console I think with the there might be one exception.
0: We we you they think they're breaking at, even at yeah. first. Yes.
1: But um you always I, I mean it, historically the company always loses money on console sales yeah. and makes it up in licensing fees. Maybe they're just fucking sick of it. Maybe they're it,
0: looking at it like what's the point? Yeah. Just sell the software. We're, we're making the software anyway. Just sell it wherever we can sell it. Especially if Microsoft owns Windows 10, it's a win-win for them. Now, for Sony, they still have to make their console. Unless they, so let's, let's they give up the ghost and say, okay, we're going to put it on Windows 10 as well and do the same thing. Which wouldn't be a terrible idea when you look at it. No. It would actually would help their sales as well for their exclusives. But you might see that in three, four years. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, it's. I'll, I'll say it right now. I haven't been wrong so far in these predictions. I don't think you're going to see a, a traditional... Uh, Xbox console 10 years from now. I think this is it. I, I think it's the gonna... Scorpio
1: might be the swan song for that.
0: So. How about an interesting VR game that good old uh, LeVar Burton was playing with Jerry Ryan in, yeah. in, that, in that video. Mm-hmm. Was there another Star Trek guy in there? I, I didn't recognize There was, was, and I can't remember who it was,
1: but mm-hmm. Seven of Nine was there and uh, Jordy LaForge was Jordy there. Jordy LaForge.
0: So. Butterfly in the sky. Um, so it's Ubisoft doing a uh, Star Trek VR game. It's going to be a co-op experience for Rift, uh, the Vive and the PlayStation VR, so you're getting, you know, across there. Right. It's gonna be four players. It's gonna
1: be a bridge simulation. I'm assuming this is gonna pull. Um, a lot of inspiration from a uh, very hardcore PC game called Artemis, which is a bridge simulation. Yeah, Uh, You often see it at conventions. I've never played it. I've always wanted to. The last convention I did, Little Con uh, 3 in Buffalo, they had an Artemis setup, and damn, did it look like a good time. But I just didn't have a chance to play it. Now,
0: that setup, I think, is more robust because you actually have communications as well as uh, captain, tactical, science, helm, and um, and engineering. So it actually has uh, six... All right, this is going to have four, four stations. So this is going to have captain, tactical, helm, and engineering. So it's, they're going to simplify it, which I guess I guess I don't mind as much. If what what would you do with communications anyway? Really, when it comes down to it. Uh, well, I, I, I,
1: I, I think the simplification here is totally warranted because as cool as Artemis seems, there is that intimidation factor. This, I think, kind of dials down that intimidation factor, and will probably get more people interested in it. I want to play this VR. Only interests
0: me a little bit, but I think this would be really fun. So it's not just looking around. So you're basically you're in a starship. I think it's not the Enterprise; it's another starship. I forget which one, but it's a uh, the Aegis. Yes, a uh, starship. I think it's. I think it's. It looks like it looks like the traditional Star Trek, the original series. I think that's what it looks like to me, at least. And you you can look around. Obviously, you can look around at your crew, but it's also touch. It's mm-hmm. like uh, punching the keys and moving the levers, using or the it. sensors Use, or or
1: using it. um uh, the PlayStation Move controllers or whatever move sensors you have. But in the video, they're actually yeah, they're actually have things on both hands, so they're actually moving around. Okay, well that might be for some of them. I know yeah. they said they were using Move for PS4, which could be a little bit clunky if you're trying to hit a very delicate button.
0: But, um, so I haven't looked at... I mean, obviously this is probably still in early, early alpha or beta. What's What's going to make or break this is... Will the individual stations have... Like, what will their roles actually be during missions? Will it just be to follow orders and press things when they're supposed to? Or will they actually have to problem-solve on their own? Will they be getting their own readout that they have to decipher? Uh, Say it's, uh, I don't know, say they get information coming in. Oh, this happened to to the whole... Uh, we have to figure out how to do it, or just following orders. You know what I mean? what just- it comes down to is they're going to have
1: to get information about, thing- about certain things before the captain exactly. does so that they can have a meaningful role in the game. If it's just the captain telling them what to do, that's not fun. No, and that's, you know, I love board games but there's a lot of co-op board games where it comes down to that. Someone takes on this commander's role, everyone sees everything at the same time, and someone basically plays the game for everyone else. This, I would hope is going to be smart enough to avoid that and yeah, um, you know someone is going to see something first someone's going to see that something is damaged before the captain sees it and makes a suggestion, and then the captain can react to it, but there needs to be, there needs to be a very good amount of interplay here, mm-hmm. as opposed
0: to just falling in line sure and will the missions just be like uh, like la noir or just a b c d where you really don't have free will you think you do but you don't uh so hopefully it's like that where maybe i don't know i'm thinking of the last modern game pat played the last one i can reference from six years ago (laughs) (laughs) and besides a little mario (laughs) kart besides my my kicking ass at mario kart for those three weeks i played it uh Will you be able to explore around on your own to gather data or clues or not literally data from the show, but, you know, what I mean, just you know, have some free reign versus punch in these coordinates. We're going to go there. You know, what I mean, is it going to be like playing a space game like Space Quest where you have to punch in to go to that specific planet? You can't go into another planet or else, you, you know, you can't do it. Yeah, you know it'll I mean? be
1: interesting to see if it's just a situational combat simulator or if it lets you do some exploring either way. Um, It'll be a good start, though, either way. Of all the VR games that have kind of been mentioned, this one strikes me as being yes. potentially the most interesting. Because this
0: one is like the fantasy of a lot of people.
1: Well, and, 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 and as far as VR games go, um, with head tracking and things, this is one where you're going to need some quick reflexes. You need this to feel natural to be able to, to interact on the fly, whereas... Um, You know, if you had this in a controller, especially if you're looking at like a keyboard like on a Star Trek ship, uh, a controller is going to be an absolute nightmare to play this game with. So I feel like the VR aspect of this is not tacked on, but actually necessary.
0: Our pal Chris Kohler at Wired uh, spoke about playing the game. He said he saw the potential, he'd like to be more challenging. Then he said he saw one interesting moment at one point, another player wasn't sure what to do, and turned her palms up in exasperation while staring at the console because because she had whatever trackings on her hands. He saw her do that. Oh. He saw it like this. That's pretty cool. So that's pretty cool, yeah. He said, I looked over and saw her do what I what I do... What what, what do I do Post Clearly mimicked in the virtual world, since the Oculus and the touch controllers were tracking our head and hand movements. You could visually interpret the emotions of a real person in virtual space. That's pretty cool. Yep. That's really cool. Yep, I think that's very neat. Now, if you could go to the... Uh, the captain's room would have some Earl tea, maybe,
1: and relax. I love um, Earl Grey. And I got, I'm not going to lie. My, my interest in trying Earl Grey started with Captain <laughs> Picard.
0: Really? Because he had... Yeah,
1: no, because my dad and I were watching it one day, and I was younger, and I, I, I've always loved tea, and he <laughs> you know, he was big into Earl Grey hot. I'm like, I want to I know what Earl Grey... my dad's like, oh, it's good. So they bought some the next time they went to the store. I'm like, I, it's like my favorite tea to this
0: day. Now, this is going to blow your mind. Hmm. You start with this Star Trek Bridge game, mm-hmm. and then you move to a holodeck game. VR on top of VR. Uh, yeah and you can die Ooh, that, both ways oh, i'm gonna buy that day one let's do it all right
1: so let's talk about some of the uh some of the other stuff that was seen that's kind of big that that at least interested me um hideo kojima and uh norman Reedus are back together again sadly with lacking guillermo del toro uh, while Del Toro did say that he had interest in doing a game with uh, whatever uh, Redis and Kojima did next, guy's a director and a writer. He's probably got a lot he's going on. He's got project. Yeah, he's
0: got... Is he doing Pacific Rim 2 probably right now?
1: Probably. He's got stuff on his plate. Um, so the game that uh, they debuted was called Death Stranding, and while not much is known about it, I can tell you one thing. It looks like a Hideo Kojima game. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's got a naked Norman Reedus uh, wow. holding a baby with what looks like an electronic umbilical cord. And then the uh, the baby disappears, and you start seeing these black handprints everywhere. There are like dead fish and crabs all over the beach, and there are people floating in the sky. And you can clearly see what looks like a C-section mark on uh, Norman Reedus' stomach. Ooh. So I don't know if he was pregnant or what um a it looks interesting he he
0: wakes up with uh, some sort of electronic handcuff or something on him
1: yeah and it looks what's interesting is that kojima's games are always mind fucks
0: and he's got a bunch of thumb drives around his neck it looks like
1: he's out of konami's grasp and he's free to do what he wants and it's not another metal gear game and he can go crazy. And it looks like he's going crazy. What's interesting to me is I want to know...
0: I was ready to sing Prince, by the way.
1: Thanks. I'm glad you did it. Um, I'm curious to know as to how much of his ideas from P.T. are going to um, make the up. transition to this. Because it's not like they own his thoughts and ideas. But this does not look like anything we ever saw in PT. However, there still is a mysterious baby yeah, that goes disappearing. Way, it's
0: not a C-section. It's like a whole abdomen fucking cut across yeah. like that. So something got ripped out of them.
1: So, um... There, so I want... So What I'm curious as to how much is going to carry over, and all I can think of so far is, you know, uh, there was that baby in the... That like fetus in the sink that talks to you in the PT demo. So... It'll be interesting for me to see what happens but the uh the trailer uh, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more later as well. We're seeing a return to atmosphere in in games and this is very exciting to me. And I don't just mean we're accurately recreating a war-torn area or um you know the the even uh you know the streets of London. Um we it looks like we might be creating interesting new worlds here. And I very much want to see what happens with this. I'm, I'm
0: glad that it sounded like Norman Reedus was pretty upset when the whole...
1: Oh, he PCP. was super fucking bummed. Uh, I'm so Del- happy he's, Del- he's Del- back. Del- on. I was like a year
0: ago already? Yeah. A little over a year ago. He really yeah. wanted to make a game with Kojima. Actually, it was, it was like February 2015, I think, where that fell through. Or March, something like that. April. Uh, it was, somewhere around there. It was there. like two months after the trailer came out. I was like, oh, sorry, yeah. we're not doing it anymore. Kojima, bye. Get out of here, asshole. Mm-hmm. Or take your name off Metal Gear. Because <laughs> we're a bunch just, of fucks. Um, Death Stranding, no release date. I'm gonna probably say late 2017, probably. Yeah, I would uh, say some, probably at the earliest. They're, they're probably just starting this up. They, you know, mo- they got to do motion capture. They did, they did show them. I'll tell you this: the graphics, like for the facial capture, it's pretty damn good. We're past that uncanny valley stage. Where, they, we're, they we're getting there. We're getting like well, he's like when he's crying like holding. Yeah, there's babies. definite
1: shots where I'm like, like okay, what? that's on Candy Valley, and then there are definite shots where I'm like, I'm looking at Norman fucking Reedus naked yeah. holding a baby.
0: Yeah. Then go for the full frontal though. They, were, they weren't. They're were afraid to do that in the E3 chair. I was kind of upset. Speaking I'm like... of that, real quick, as a segue, uh, uh, they censored out what the hell trailer was it? Well, one the first trailers at the Microsoft or Sony one where. They were showing massive amounts of ultra violence. It could have been Gears of War four, but they cut out some cursing. The, per- the character said like "God damn" to the camera. They blanked that out, but the gory ultra violence was a okay. I just thought it was hysterical. I don't want to get into it. this whole thing that everyone, this whole conversation everyone has, but
1: uh, yeah, America's aversion to things yeah. like sex and swearing, yet not to go- buckets and buckets yeah. of blood, it's like at the, this
0: point it's just it's, it's I just it's insane. It's beyond ridiculous. Well they even had little Norman Reedus's little like little. Like mole there too, like on his face, like it's it's him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is interesting. Um, we'll we'll see what's going to happen. Obviously, with this, I'm just glad that the, the, the games get made. Del Toro, maybe we'll have some input on the side. Who knows? You know, he make it. He they'll get together to for tea. <laughs> for tea, he'll just they'll they'll Skype together and throw ideas back and forth. Right.
1: Keeping up on the theme, and 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 this is where I really wanted to talk about atmosphere. Um Resident Evil 7 was announced and I I've been an off and on fan of Resident Evil. Um the the first three games were games I always wish I could have gotten into but the controls killed me. Resident Evil 4 I really liked and then by the time 5 hit I was like I don't I have no interest in this anymore. 6 looked like a bag of crap. Um, Resident Evil 7 was, uh, the, the trailer was debuted, and there is a playable demo up on the PlayStation 4 right now, which, sadly, I have not had a chance to get to. As a matter of fact, I might do that when I get home. Um, it's gonna have VR support, and the idea of horror games with VR support is, uh, well, that's that's a pants-crappingly good time right there. Um, but it looks like a... a, a a sort of return to Resident Evil's roots. Um, the atmosphere that's shown in the trailer is very, very eerie, very um, horror movie, and dare I say, uh, very PT. Very much
0: PT. <laughs> um, Slash Silent Hills, which is what that was right. For, which was so, Kojima and Norman Reedus. And so tomorrow.
1: this. The, this is good. I think this is good for a couple of reasons. Um, one, like I said, uh, we we're, we're not we're no longer. It looks like they're no longer trying to take a horror game and turn it into a war game, which is basically what they did with Five and Six. Um, it looks like they're realizing that they lost a lot of fans and
0: disenfranchised a lot of people yeah. by doing so. It went from horror survival to just will just shoot a thousand people
1: and. The other good thing here is, by going back to this old style, focusing on atmospheric horror, um, it shows that there might still be companies, granted fueled by money and desperation, uh, but there might still be companies that are willing to uh, stop no longer pigheadedly pushing forward with what they think is best and actually listening to what the consumers want. Because you can't let every decision be guided by a loud minority, but when sales figures in overwhelming backlash is telling you that you're doing the wrong thing, you cannot go Konami on this and keep pushing in that direction and just say, fucking take it. You have to kind of step back and go, okay, this isn't working with the Resident Evil direction. We need to focus more on this being a horror game again. This is a genre that is sorely lacking these days. There's not many. And we, I mean... Capcom with, with Resident Evil kind of created that genre on the console it's, it would be a very welcome
0: thing for them to be kind of the company to really bring that back what I think is interesting that this is uh, in first person yes. so it's the first Resident Evil game in first person if you, don't, if you don't count the rail shooters which I'm talking about the real Resident Evil games
1: which by the way is also um, uh, harkens to PT because uh, PT uh, slash Silent Hills was first person they as well
0: pr- they got inspiration I don't, I honestly don't care if they did. No,
1: neither do I. I don't you know, care at all. The, I, as a matter of fact, I, take all the inspiration from it. I want to see good horror games. They're probably like, hey, K- Konami, you're not going to do it. Fuck off. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> We're going to do it. And you can't stop us because we already have our own horror franchise that we've let go to shit. So we can reinvent it with uh, the idea I, that you didn't you know, see through to completion.
0: So is this... They mentioned... There's a newspaper that says something about ghosts. So is this going to go off the beaten track of the story, or is it still going to be just zombies? I'm guessing it's still going to be zombies. Well, well, that's the problem. It hasn't been zombies since Part 4.
1: Um, oh, that's right. And part that's really always. what's kind of pissed off. Not, not only the gameplay changes in 5 and 6, but virus, the fact yeah. that they very much changed... Well, it was always a virus, but they very much changed what the enemies were and what the focus of the game was. And this looks like it could kind of dial all that back. It, it almost, without knowing a whole lot, without with just seeing the trailer, it's almost like this could be a reboot without an actual
0: resetting of numbers or, you well, know, it's the seven. statement. It's 7, it says right. Biohazard, which is the Japanese name. Right. So, it can mean anything. But maybe it just starts slow and builds up to killing a guy with a chainsaw like they have in every single game, which always terrifies me. Oh, that was horrifying in part four. Oh yeah, that was that got me one time. I was like, yeah, that's kind of gruesome. Don't yeah, need that to be that, yeah, because it that. hangs
1: up on your neck a little bit before it goes clean through. Yeah,
0: I don't need the description. I don't need to see. I don't need that. <laughs> I can take a lot of that stuff, but I just don't. Yeah. Anyway. So all right. Um, so does this have a release date set? I don't believe so. so um, be, ja- uh, uh,
1: oh, with VR, January 2017. Oh, okay.
0: So So not so far away. So that'll be before naked Norman Reedus, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it will be. Damn it. Damn it. I want a naked Norman Reedus first. You want to talk retro? Yeah. Let's talk a little retro. Let's talk a little weird retro hybrid. Um, We covered this on the podcast before. The Hyperkin Smart Boy. It was April Fool's. In 2006. uh, 2015.
1: And uh, it was actually confirmed by Hyperkin to be in production. And we reported on that, and everyone gave a shit saying that we were still falling for an April Fool's joke. And here we are. It's actually coming out. Um, what's well, different about it, Well, this... let's,
0: let's back up. What is this device? So,
1: what this is, is it's a cradle for your smartphone. Now, initially it a was droid. said to be... Yes, initially it was said to be iPhone, Android. Right now they are simply stating Android only, which I think made sense to us all the way from the beginning because the iPhone was far too locked down to really allow for this sort of thing. It's a cradle that you can slide your Android smartphone into with a cartridge slot on the back for Game Boy games, which will effectively turn the top half of your smartphone into a Game Boy screen while the cradle will house, the D-pad, the A and B buttons, start and select. And the same color scheme as the original Game Boy. Right. Um, This is a nifty, neato bit of of tech, uh, but I'm wondering... I'm still wondering what the market for is here, because if you still have to buy cartridges, which is good, I I mean, I guess, you can't really... I mean, even though my stance on emulation is pretty soft, and so is yours, you can't exactly have... I mean, just you you can't release a system that is for emulation only. You get legally shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, So, price point's going to be a big deal here, because, yeah, your smartphone's going to give you a nice, crisp picture, and it's going to look good. But, What's the cost of the Smart Boy? What's mm-hmm. the cost of the Smart Boy going to be compared to a um, Game Boy Advance SP, which is already backlit and does more than what this is going to plus do? Does Game Boy Advance as well? Right, uh, yeah, because it does Game Boy Advance as well. You can argue space things, but you know what? You're not always going to have the Smart Boy on your phone, so you're still taking up extra space. So the Smart Boy plus your phone is really no different than your SP plus your phone, which leads me to believe that this is going to sell solely on whiz bang factor and we're going to see a lot of these I, trying
0: to come into the store used and I it, this is going to be something you're going to see on like one of those uh, what the hell was that what was that website that do like those one day geek sales were think geek no 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 it was, it was that it was like a like a mojo or something it was like it was oh like, okay I think I, yeah I just don't remember I haven't it. heard of it in like three four years but I was like oh buy this you got you got one day to buy this it's like Eighty percent off and then like everyone buys it and throws it out the next week. Right. This is what this is gonna this is where this is gonna be sold. Yeah. Where people are gonna buy because anyone in the retro uh, gaming world that is gonna play Game Boy games, like you said, this will be the last choice I go to. Unless this is like twenty bucks or less. Unless this is cheaper than getting a real alternative buying your own Game Boy color or buying, like you said, like buying an SP. Why would you get this? Ever. Yeah.
1: There's just no reason. I mean, depending on the model of SP, you can get an SP at a, a flea market for twenty to twenty five. You can, in nice condition, you can. I mean, you can get one on ones for fifty to sixty. I just, I, yeah. I, I really wonder where the where they're trying to go with it. And, the backlight, not a selling point. The nice screen, probably not really a selling point for most people. And the added bulk, definitely a turnoff.
0: When you look at it from the side view, it's as thick as an original Game Boy. So, it didn't look that thick to me, but it's oh, still it's, it's still close. too thick. It's still too thick. It, okay, it's four times the thickness of this cell phone at least, from what I'm looking at. Um, so that's like two two inches, we'll just say. One and a half, sure. two inches.
1: No, I mean it's gotta have room for the cartridge port plus yeah. At least, mean,
0: it's at least a Game Boy color, at least. Yes, that I'll agree. So with. once you get to that point, it's like it's not convenient. You're not gonna go you're not gonna go out in the town and put this in your pocket. You might as well get an Atari Lynx and do that. You know, just <laughs> try to shove it in your pocket right in those commercials. <laughs> The other question is, you have to build this to some sort
1: of size specification. So, you're already limiting, limiting it, limiting it to Android limited edition. Then, what Android phones are you
0: limiting it to? They're gonna have to make it for the bigger ones, but maybe not the huge fucking mini iPad size ones. You know, like maybe like the the six. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't have a Droid phone, but you know, the ones that are huge that. You can, yeah. you can use as a frisbee. And honestly, I'm I'm not loyal to one type
1: of phone or another. No, really. I have an iPhone. I might have a, a fucking Android next. But the difference is, is iPhones come in generally two sizes um, at this point. Yeah, because uh, because that's a brand. Droids a platform. Right, and those come in all shapes and sizes. So is your phone even going to support it if you were the target market for this?
0: Because maybe yeah, right. Because maybe the screen will be off a little bit. What if your phone's too small? Does it? Do they have to like lock it in somehow? Would the buttons have to shift to hit the spot? Would you have to, I guess it would probably most likely be in the app itself. You'd have to say what size is your phone or what model is it in order to place the digital. But it, it, this has to be 20, 20. this
1: has to be twenty dollars. It has to be.
0: This has to be. I'm just bringing up the issues now that it's going to face people, yeah. and and then I, what about the, how is it going to affect the battery life? Is it going to, is it is the power going to run off off of, off, of, off of your phone? Or is it going to be a separate charge for the device? That's a huge one, because think about if it has to read your game or uh, then constantly. If this is really, if this is not running off emulator, it's actually like running it somehow. Is there going to be issues with with the battery? Could could be. So it looks like they say might be out for holiday season this year. Um, we also have to keep in mind that even
1: if it's using some sort of emulation, that having your screen on constantly is going to drain your battery rather quickly.
0: Oh, absolutely. Especially if it's going to be bright? Yeah. Like a backlit. If you're going to if you're gonna emulate a backlit uh, GBA SP101, oh, absolutely. You'll cut it in half. Mm-hmm. I know, but I know that on phones and even on an iPhone, I have the iPhone, uh, what, 4? It's it's uh, it's gotten a lot better. Sure. I have a 4 no, I have a 6. You have a 6. I have, I, have a six. A, I have a 5. I originally had the 4. All right. <laughs> really, the only thing that we could talk about, Nintendo was showing off at E3 uh, at their Treehouse uh, live streaming events as they didn't do a traditional... Uh, conference, they stopped doing those. Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. So this is a open world Legend of Zelda game in third person, like most of the games you've seen on the console in the past in, the, consoles in the past 20 years, besides the handhelds. It looks very interesting to me. The art style, let's start with the art style, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's, it's very beautiful. Very so it's sort of cell shaded ish but not entirely. You could say like it's like a, it's like semi-cell shaded. Is that safe to say? I don't know if I t- even call it cell shaded, but it's just it. It's interestingly contrasted the colors. Um, you start as a you wake up a shirtless Link who has boxer shorts on. It looks like you have no idea why you woke up there. You have no idea where you where you are. You have to go around. And you find your clothes. You don't start with the weapon right away, and uh, you have a voice telling you, a female voice telling you. You know, oh, Link. You know, let's start the mission. You know, it's, right. <laughs> you're coming into the world instead of having a character tell you, which is interesting too. Um, so what was interesting to me is that it sounds like at first you, you have to, you basically play as you want to play. Yeah, right, right from the get-go, they say you can play as you
1: want. There is, I believe, one small mission that they were detailing uh, in, in a minor playthrough where basically you have to do some tasks for, I believe it's like a king or a, a person you meet on the plane, which is the first area you An read. old man you meet on the yeah, plane. Yeah, where you have to get a glider because you cannot get off the plane without this glider. Yes. But basically after that, you're free to do whatever you want. As a matter of fact, Aonuma said that. Uh, you can, if you wanted to, go directly to the final boss and beat the game without doing a single other thing. Really? If you're a good that. enough gamer and you've got the reflexes it for shitty, it... With shitty weapons and shitty armor? You can, you can beat the boss outright, directly. It, you guys gotta the probably walk game.
0: a long-ass way, but you can, you can get Who that. knows?
1: Um, and it, w- there, there's just so many departures here that are, that are interesting to me because... They make the game more enticing for me, but I wonder what they're going to do for other Zelda fans. Uh, first of all, you're not just limited to a sword; you can have a spear. You got your bow and arrow. Um, Link can have Club. more. Link can have more than uh,
0: one weapon. Well, I think it's interesting is that the weapons break. I saw you get a sword, a shitty sword that breaks right. after er- using it too much.
1: Early on, uh, well, like, like in other games of this sort, uh, your, your weapons have a durability, so Link can be using a sword and have it break on him or go down in power. Um, there is crafting in this for clothes and armor. Um for one of the first times i can really remember in a in a in a zelda game i mean it, it, there was a there was a, a a shot of him making some pants and you, i mean you could see your armor stat going up like it, it showed like what would happen if you equipped these pants um, it seems like gone are the days of breaking pots and cutting down grass to find little hearts. Uh, I mean, you can they still, you can
0: still cut grass though that's good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but there's been like a, a huge focus on the fact that there's a cooking system now..
0: Yeah, so you can um, find apples or you can warm up make like an apple sort of quiche. right for, for better more energy.
1: Uh, this is a mix of the traditional well, well the modern Western style RPG. And uh, a, a Japanese hack and slash action adventure like like The Legend of Zelda, um, and I wonder if this is going to turn some people off. Now everyone's enthusiasm for it seems pretty high, and I got to say this is probably
0: the most excited I've been for a Zelda what? game in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Why, why wouldn't you be excited for this? This this is the, what what else could you do? Fresh, you had one game where it was over a water world, one in the sky, and this is the first huge open world game. They even said. The like this is like the thirty minute or twenty minute demo, thirty minutes on the plane. That's one percent of of the environment of the entire game. One percent, right. they said. That's insane. Sure. That's like means like it'll take you probably eight hours to walk across the game.
1: Well, I mean, they always say these things and they always blow them out of proportion. Well you and, get horses and, 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 and find and it ends up taking two hours or an hour and a you half. You find a canoe whatever, and you want to go across, right. and
0: you find a warp somewhere.
1: But uh, I mean, they're they're definitely plotting this out to contend with the likes of games like the Elder Scrolls series. Yeah,
0: Sky- people are saying, "Oh, this is like Skyrim." It's like, what? So, well,
1: it's it, it's that yeah, sure, it's like Skyrim. It's also like every Western RPG since the Apple Two Days, where you basically have free reign to do whatever the hell you want. I mean, Ultima kind of gave you that to a degree, um, but yeah, it, it's it's exciting. It's a Zelda game that I will buy. And I'm interested in seeing how they handle things like traditional dungeons in this game, as opposed to side quests. There's, oh, they're called
0: shrines, and and you can go and, and defeat them in any order, like like the last guy you said. You can go. Right. right. So you, you're, it's, it's really what you, like how you want to play the game. Yeah. Early reports,
1: which I think were later refuted, but I'm sure something like that will be will, will exist. There's going to be smaller shrines and then larger shrines that'll be more traditional. Um, smaller shrines I'm envisioning being something like a cave in Skyrim or Oblivion or something like that, where it maybe takes you half an hour to clear out. Whereas then there will be you know probably more larger storyline missions. I'm interested in how they will kind of bridge the gap here because um, the director said that he knows that some people are afraid of these these large open world games and he's hoping that this game is going to be the game that eases people into it. So I'm very interested in seeing as to I'm interested in seeing how much hand holding is there if you want it as opposed to The freedom to do whatever you want. Now, obviously, if you can really go and beat the boss right off if you want to, that's a lot of freedom. But there are definitely people who are going to want a story path. And I'm hoping that there's at least a good amount of prodding and pushing that will... Allow the people who want something resembling a traditional Zelda game to get that.
0: I would I would think that when you when you find your way to new areas that there'll be you talk to people and they'll give you they'll oh tell sure stuff to do.
1: I mean it's not like you're just gonna wander around yeah. a wasteland with nothing to do. I mean I, I can't think of any game that's done that really. But, but than, I like,
0: like how rust. so far with the, even in the limited demo, which again which is a great plateau, which again they said is like one percent of the game. Um, you can like cut down trees, you could uh, light like a branch and fire and clear, uh, some. Some brush or or some grass area by putting it on fire and you know, it goes away. So, th- this is some interesting stuff. Like this is stuff that, when you're when you're combining uh, different aspects of weapons, like you said, like putting together pieces of objects, you find that appeals to even someone like me, where I was like I wouldn't care about. Zelda games that much in the past generation now I'm like okay I'm on board and it doesn't seem like they're abandoning the
1: the puzzle aspect which is a big part of uh, the Legend of Zelda games as well I mean in that demo they show in the trailer they show them you know chopping down a tree to cross a, a chasm so I mean that seems kind of natural but it's very important that they keep especially in shrines or dungeons or whatever they do that they keep that puzzle aspect in there and I think that's going to be integral to giving the game a Zelda feel that people are going to be comfortable with
0: now, some people uh, tweet at me or said, do you think this is still a Zelda game or not? I'm like, of course it's a Zelda game. There's any different features. Yeah. I think one of the biggest complaints from people was always like, oh, the Zelda series is too similar game after game. And it's like, well, now you're getting something totally different. Yeah, see, and,
1: and this is what I where I'm curious... Zelda 2 is not a real Zelda game, Every, right? Yeah, but Zelda 2 is something different. Everyone everyone wanted change in Zelda games, and now that they're getting it, I guess this is the thing. I haven't exactly seen the backlash, but if I went looking for it, I'm sure I could find it. Everyone wants change. Is this too much change? For me, this is all the change I needed to actually be interested in one. Sure, because now it's just not just go point A to B to C, back to A. Because yes. Nintendo's amazing at building worlds. They're yes. incredible world builders. They make great characters. There's I, I, the, That Nintendo touch is something that's intangible, that feels great, looks great, and they make worlds that are fun to inhabit. Yet now we actually get a modern take.
0: We also, we also comment on the fact that this looks gorgeous on the Wii U. Yeah, supposedly they
1: were saying that there's not going to be any difference between the Wii U and the NX version. Besides graphics. Uh, uh, oh, really? They, yeah. they did say that? Okay, because I, I thought they said it would be the same either way. I know that they were demoing the Wii U version, though, and it looks amazing.
0: Yeah, uh, this article from My Nintendo News says that uh, different visuals on, on NX with the same experience, which makes sense. It's probably the easiest thing to scale up. Yeah. Visuals. Uh, so the visuals. Which is one of the reasons why. Remember, folks, this is game's been developed for five years. There was a demo for this back in 2011, before when the Wii U was still not going to come out for like a year.
1: That wasn't really a demo;
0: that was a graphics demo for the system. They were they were putting it together that the big the the enemy that you see in the game was there, like that. Little, okay, the, the I, I still I'm not going to count that. It's been a while. It's been development for a while. They keep pushing it back. If I was in the fence, I'd probably say, okay, I'll buy, I'm going to buy an anyway. Might look well at the. Get the the newer one, which looks nicer. Give me it, a bundle. But even this one looks fantastic. Uh, so it's a real Zelda game. I think it's bold. It's almost like, why didn't I think of this sooner? Does it bother you? Some people are bothered that, that Link is right-handed. Yeah,
1: I, no, it actually bothers me to a huge degree. Um and I, I'm just not going to get into it.
0: Does it really? No, I got to hear No, this all it your, really does. Be, well, because he's been left-handed forever. And you're one of those dirty lefties that. And you I'm did, a lefty. You need a role model? And
1: I like the fact that he was left-handed. And they <laughs> keep fucking switching it back and forth. And maybe he's the most ambidextrous hero the world's ever seen. But I liked the fact that Link was left-handed.
0: Do all the Links have to be left-handed? There's more than well, one? Well, no, there's
1: tons. So, you're right. They don't all have to be left-handed. The reasoning behind it was because uh, the action buttons are on the right-hand side of the controller. I'm, sh- I'm sure. I mean, fine. Whatever. I mean, I'm not like actually that worked up over it, but I was kind of bummed, because the first thing I did, I was like, is he? Is he?
0: Fuck! He's holding his sword in his goddamn right well, hand. Well, they mirrored it for the, what was it, the one game on the Wii, so you can use the... Uh, the
1: <laughs> yeah, line. exactly. It was He's a lefty in Twilight Princess on the... GameCube, but he's a righty on the Wii version because they
0: flip-flopped the entire game. That was the best solution. <laughs> just flip flop the entire game and put no work into it. Extra. It's just mirror image everything. <laughs> That's just like, so weird. So instead of walking left towards something, you walk right? I believe so, game? yeah. That's so fucking weird. Mm-hmm. That's insane. But, okay, this looks cool. Uh, I, I I like seeing a, a young nubile link. I'm kidding. But... I guess I, I guess that answers the question whether he's male or female in the game. Some people thought he was going to be a female. He's a male in this one too. So I saw some people complain about that. That's a whole other issue. Uh, all right, this is going to come out next year, and I'm on board either way. It'll either be my last Wii U purchase or my my first NX purchase.
1: Yep, that's how I feel.
0: So Retrobit, who are, you know, they make a lot of the uh, aftermarket consoles for Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Genesis. Uh, they're responsible for... Whatever. Like one of the
1: big three. There's, the re- there's Hyperkin, there's Yobo, and then there's RetroBit. What are some of the ones they've made, Ian? The RetroBit. Uh, I mean, the same as all of them. They've made duos, they've made trios, and uh, now they're doing this one, which has no cartridge slots and is more akin to like a flashback
0: system. Well, thanks for stealing the thunder, Ian. It's the RetroBit Generations. <laughs> Let me get the name of it in. <laughs> so it features 60 classic games. Ghosts and Goblins, Knights of the Round. Huh. Rain King and more. So as you say, there's no there's no uh, slot. So what is this? This is going to be something you're going to see at Walmart for hopefully $30, $40? Yeah. You just plug in your TV? I,
1: I mean, it does look like it's going to have an interesting selection of games. Um, some that you would probably not likely see. My main concern with this is, uh, I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't feel like RetroBit has ever made the most reliable product. They also say that it comes with two classic wireless six-button controllers. I guarantee you these are going to be infrared wireless controllers. And infrared wireless controllers are things that have tanked plenty of good ideas, like the Hyperkin Retron 3, which we refuse to carry because the two infrared controllers that it comes with are garbage. Um, so... The retrobit generations at the right price seems like a cool way to pick up a bunch of legally licensed games on one console, uh, but build quality and controller consistency is going to be a big part.
0: It's an emulation box, basically. Yes. So you have a, a user interface. You get two six-button controllers, which they look like almost like Genesis six-button pads. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, this is just a graphic, but it looks like there's a controller port in the front for the two. I'm not sure. if Maybe that's, like you said, infrared sort of sensor. Okay. Maybe if, it, maybe. if, it, if
1: they're wired, then great. That's you better. Think
0: that would be a smart thing to do. Uh, HDMI and AV outputs. That's really cool that, because we're not all in the HDMI age still. And the games list is is small. I'm going to butcher some of these. Ring King, 1942, 1943. Captain Commando, original Commando. Commando XX's. That's a shooter, right? That's a Capcom shooter. Uh, Forgotten Worlds, Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, one of my favorites, Gunsmoke. Uh, four stars, according to a certain NES guidebook. <laughs> Higemaru, what Which game is that? You it's a know. ninja game. Uh, Knights. The old cap uh, old Capcom ninja game, I believe. Is that the one where you're overhead and you... you it's overhead, sort of, you can you throw stuff. I, and I, before I throw myself under the bus by getting it okay. wrong, I'm just going to say I don't remember. But this is a, here's some cool ones. Knights of the Ramp. That's huge. Excellent beat-em-up. Mercs. Excellent running gun, gun shooter, shooter that you usually don't see anywhere. I, I really? can't remember a port in any system off top my head. Uh, might be on one of the PS2 Capcom classics. But I never came out on his own though.
1: Uh, Genesis.
0: It wasn't Genesis. Okay, yeah. it was. Oh, I probably own it. Sidearms, Sun Sun, uh, Varth Operation Thunderstorms. Never heard of that. And more to be announced. That's a very promising list because you have some classics, you have some more esoteric ones, uh, and plus you have some ones that would cost you an arm and a leg if you bought them for, like, Super Nintendo. Like, if you went out and tried to buy Captain Commando on its own or bought Knights of the Round, you're you're getting to some serious cash at that point. So the question with this, though, for me
1: is, these are kind of deep cuts. The people who are going to be interested in these games... ...are the same type of people who can Raspberry Pi an emulation box.
0: Sure. Or who are already emulating. Okay. I don't think these are super deep cuts. I think some are deeper, but, but even casual people probably heard of Ghosts and Goblins, you'd think. Sure, but, you know, when you see the
1: Atari flashback, people instantly think of things. When you see the Genesis with a cartridge slot and 80 games, and you see Sonic the Hedgehog right up front, your, your nostalgic juices immediately get flowing. I'm not so sure that that's the exact same sort of response that's going to happen when people see when when, when the average consumer sees Knights of the Round and sure, mercs. But,
0: but sure, but this is a list only of 15 of the 60 of uh, the 60 games, and most of these are uh, Capcom. Correct. There's not a lot. Oh, oh King, Ring King's Data East, but published by Data East,
1: I think. Uh, I, what, oh, I, what, right. what, what it that's looks what I like published. is actually because Double Dragons on there too. That was Technos. Uh, but I believe published by Data East in certain territories, so I'm I'm, I'm interested in how that's going to handle. I think I think it might be Data East published games and Capcom published games well, is how they're well, going to handle it. Well, it
0: says the developers that brought you the Double Dragon series, so I, I don't know if they're going to be included. <laughs> so. Well, the developers would be Technos. But it, that could be interesting. I'm just almost I'm just going off the press release. It says the developers that brought you the Double Dragons. Oh, I see. Okay, I got you. Ghosts and Goblins. May they mean the publishers that brought you that? Okay, I don't know. Uh, so uh, I think then you kind of have an idea, though. You have some arcade games here that are were not hugely popular, but still good games like Mercs. Uh, so maybe that's you're not going to see like Street Fighter games on here. It wouldn't make any sense for them to put, be put on here. The
1: question is, are they going to be arcade ports or, the, or,
0: or ports of the home uh, versions? And I'm going to guess I, home
1: version I, ports.
0: You think? You, yes. You think with with Data East, that's a lot of games like you might see Bad Dudes on here. You can see like a Karnoff show up. True. Yeah, you probably have to go with the arcade ports because, you know, would you want to play the NES version of Bad Dudes ever in your N- life again? No, and, and the, the version of Carnov oh is not much better. How many stars did you get Bad Dudes in? I don't know. Probably two. That's probably fair. Um, uh, I I would think these would be the arcade version. That'd probably be easier for the, with the rights versus. Okay, fair enough. But uh, and plus, we, it comes down to this. is What it comes down to, this is a really good. This is a very promising list to start off with. Uh, so already I'm interested just seeing what the rest are going to be. Uh, price point. Price point. If this thing, if they could keep the price of this thing, somehow under fifty bucks, fifty bucks, I think you'll sell a decent amount. Sixty games less than a dollar game, I think yeah. they sell a lot.
1: As long as the list continues to be as strong as what they're that, showing, yes.
0: Because what do those Genesis ones go for? That you find in like... 40? 40 bucks in like the Walgreens or whatever. yeah. So if they stick with that, 60 games, a buck, 50 bucks, and if the controllers are not total horse shit, I'd be interested in at least checking it out to see what the list is.
1: Yeah, that's going to be the big thing for me. I'd be, I'd be interested in checking it out as a novelty, something to drag to a convention that's cheap and disposable, as long as they're not frickin' infrared controllers. Because God, those suck. All right. Oh, we haven't talked about GameStop in a long while, but they're (laughs) back. They're back, and they've expanded their um, retro gaming uh, section. Now, I don't think any of these are actually new announcements. I think they're finally just rolling them out. I think when they actually announced their interest in getting back in, things like GameCube, Sega Saturn, and Game Boy Advance were definitely uh, things that they were contemplating. But now, officially, GameCube, Xbox, Sega Saturn, Game Boy Advance, and more are now... um, are now um, I know available. I personally feel like this is just opening. Uh, well, with a lot of these being disc-based games, I feel like the chances of bootlegs and reproductions it, that that area goes down for them. For GameCube,
0: it does sure.
1: Um, well, so, for GameCube, but for the bigger issue is here. I think Game Boy Advance is going to be a big seller for them, and Pokemon and you talk to any GameStop employee or anyone who's ever bought from GameStop and their ability to t- detect the number one selling Game Boy Advance games Pokémon games as bootlegs is slim to none. So, just get ready for a lot of stories about bootleg Pokémon being, you know, sent out to to potential buyers. Um it's interesting to note that um Smash Brothers Melee is they're, they're pricing it at forty nine ninety nine. That is considerably lower end for this title. Um, we sell it for sixty. Basically, every place I know of sells it for sixty. Sure. There are places online that sell it for seventy to eighty. But are you getting disc only? Are you getting it I, in the case? I mean, who you, knows? You have
0: to assume disc only because hell, the pictures on the website uh, shows most of the GameCube games on all of them being disc only. Or a or disc, you cannot assume you're getting anything.
1: And else. at that point, we, I mean, just for comparison, we saw a disc-only copy for like $25, 30
0: bucks. So at that point, you're getting hosed. Uh, double dash. They're showing the disc here, thirty bucks. Animal Crossing disc, ten bucks. Remember, assume it's just a disc because uh, there was it was a crapshoot with the other games. Some people got complete copies and bucks. Some people didn't. You know, some people bought PlayStation games and got disc only. Some people got the the case as well. Yeah, you, yeah you it's be, true. It's it's buyer, it's buyer beware on GameStop. We, not only for the what you get with the game, but if the game's actually what you think it's going to be. So, I, I mean, I
1: have to assume, though, to a degree, that this is working out for them. Otherwise, why would they expand
0: the selection? Refurbished system, $40 for a GameCube for Indigo. Um, Available for trade in select stores only. That's interesting. But at the other
1: point, I'm wondering if they're just going whole hog into this pig-headedly hoping to make it stick. I, I but GameStop's in such a place that I can't imagine that they would continue to roll out this initiative if it wasn't turning them over some money. All the stories about bootleg games and you know uh, void you know void warranty stickers over Sega CD expansion slots in the world are just a drop in the bucket as to what they're actually doing, and we don't really know what they're doing with
0: this. So here's some of the Game Boy, uh, Pokemon Silver, twenty bucks, Crystal, uh, that's thirty five. Um, let's see. You can get a refurbished uh, Game Boy Advance SP for fifty. That's a, that's a little high to me. I was gonna know if it's a 101 or not. Uh, Pokemon Red twenty five. Uh, not a lot of Game Boy games. Pokemon Yellow twenty five. You think they're testing the battery in all these? I would hope Especially so. Especially the ones like the crystals that but probably go, go a lot and Gold,
1: silver, it. crystal, all those batteries that
0: quicker because there's an internal clock that's constantly running. Golden Sun for GBA, 15 bucks. So it looks like they're being very, really careful about the types of uh, Pokemon Ruby version, 13 bucks. How many of those are going to be bootlegs? 13
1: I mean, I've got to say that their pricing here is definitely lower end. I think they're really trying to... Um, get in there I think they've probably done some research they're looking around and they're trying to find these you know undercut these prices the question is can they win the trust of enough consumers to make them a go to place for retro games yeah but
0: how many GBE games are going to be bootlegs that are turned in
1: well yes I realize that that's why I said they need to win the trust of these consumers and I don't know <laughs> if that's going do to happen do they
0: have the track, re- track record to do that no, no. remember the frontline employees are the ones that have to reject these right They're not going to give a shit and look to see, oh, does it say Nintendo on the board or not, underneath, or whatever else. And even if it does say Nintendo on the board, is the circle right? Is
1: the font thickness correct? I mean, does the plastic feel fucking cheap? Did they actually look to see if it says Game Boy Advance across the top, or just Advance? I mean... So, yeah, you don't know. I almost feel like that a price of $13 for a copy of Pokemon Ruby is their way of saying, we don't fucking know what you're going to get, so we're just going to take this <laughs> hey, gamble. We just
0: we just bought 1000 off of AliExpress. <laughs> <laughs> How pa- many of you will notice? We're passing along the savings. No. No, the game's up. Don't sue me. You're not going to do that. But please just check the boards at least. Tell your employees to check the boards when they come in. At least do that. So you don't... Even if you, Even if 10% are bootleg at least. It's as simple as going... Yeah. That seems legit. Yeah, it looks legit. Okay. It, it, it doesn't say, like, you know, made in Madagascar on it. <laughs> you know. Uh, all right. Oh, well, we're going to have probably a nice deluge of, of YouTube videos in the coming months of, I you know, I ordered, I ordered this game and it's a, and this GameCube game, Scratch, doesn't work. Well, I ordered this uh, this Pokemon game and it's a bootleg. I ordered this uh, Pokemon Silver and the battery doesn't work and it wasn't tested. You know what's going to happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They're gonna, Absolutely. They're going to roll right in. Yeah. And uh, then they're gonna move on to carrying Neo Geo high end games worth eight thousand dollars. Those may bootlegs, no, probably not.
1: And but. I just don't see the the Xbox and the GameCube stuff necessarily being. I mean, GameCube's hot right now, but original Xbox games? Why? I mean, the amount they're gonna give you for them is next fucking nothing.
0: Anyways, they're worthless. Oh, well, even they're they're even taking stuff like Gunstar Superheroes for GBA. So they're trying to get a you know just a popular like familiar titles, I guess. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, that, I mean, and that's part of, I think, what makes this
1: a little less risky for games. Doom Stop. was on
0: GBA? Yes. I no so idea. is
1: Doom 2. They go they go for a bit. They're pretty good versions? They're really good ports. Oh, wow. They, they go for a considerable... They,
0: well, they, want Doom they go for quite a bit. They want 25. They, they go,
1: yeah, 25 for Doom, and I think it's closer to 50
0: for Doom 2. I'm interested in checking those out. They're good. So, okay, you're going gonna to do an experiment? We should do an experiment and just fuck it throw around some dollars see what we get we should we should just join the podcast want to do that buy buy a gba game buy a couple of disc games see what we get maybe come on it's an investment you in the comments tell us should we do that i think that'd be funny tax write off there you go Ian. all right the big question <laughs> about doing our taxes which i actually someone asked about all right time for a couple of uh, other topics here movie topics so um warcraft came out did not get the best reviews. I've had people yell at me, people I knew, saying, oh, the game, uh, excuse me, the movie was good, the critics didn't give it a fair chance, they were snobby. Yelled at you? Not yelled at me. Well, they just texted dressed me. Dressed you down? They <laughs> dressed me down. <laughs> they chewed me out. I, hey, I had no no dog in the race. No. Horse in the race, dog in the kennel. I know this, I always mingle my sayings up, my idioms. But I know horse in the race. I'm I'm a fan of the original Warcraft games. I, mean, I had them as a kid. I played them before 98% of you guys did. Uh, back when they first came out. Grandpa Hempster. Yeah, hipster. back in my day. <laughs> we were doing a 28K 8 modem. We were grunt rushing. Anyway. So, it bombed in the US. Yeah. It made like, what, $25 million the first weekend. Not good. However... This is like the biggest movie in China ever, the history of China. What was it, like one hundred thirty-eight million
1: in its opening weekend, or something like it that? It
0: earned more than the Star Force Force Awakens opened in China. Right, that's insane. There's a couple of reasons, though, why this may have
1: happened. Well, one major reason: uh, this is a this movie was done in partnership with Chinese firms. Um, in a land where your entertainment is controlled largely by the government Um, a movie that has a lot of Chinese money invested into it is going to be advertised heavily it's going to be partnered up heavily with other organizations it's going to get the advertising. I mean, how much advertising did you actually see for Warcraft here?
0: Fucking slim to none. I, I saw commercials. It wasn't hell. It wasn't the marketing integration I'm seeing for Ghostbusters recently with like the NBA Finals. Sure, but you saw almost nothing of it. I'm imagining
1: a marketing blitz similar to like you said before uh, the Star Wars: The Force Awakens in China. I mean, yeah. that's what I'm imagining that it, we're getting here.
0: This Variety article says that there was heavy marketing in China, and I think it's the game's still fairly new in China. Since so they sort of uh, opened up opened up their borders to, I think, more PC gaming.
1: Well, and even though this is based on the earlier games, they did say that there is a huge fan base now for the World of Warcraft in
0: China. So, 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 so interest is fresh and hot. This it's the interest what it was in the U.S. ten years ago. There now, yes. Like when this was at the height of it, when South Park did a freaking episode about it, like, you know, six, seven years ago. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. It is there now. Wow, is that long ago? Could have been more. Gee, yeah, I think it, it was, was more. I think it was like two thousand seven. <laughs> it was a while ago. So that's one of the things. Yeah, they did a lot of planning with their subsidiary, at Legendary East. Um, and they worked off of there. So they put tons of money into social media advertising there and red and regular advertising. Uh, they had regional advertising. They had 26 Chinese brands as sponsors. Yes. I don't know if I've seen one sponsor in the U.S. No, and that's what I'm saying. Like The amount of partnership was insane.
1: Also, there was something like... Twelve trailers or something like the insane like that that were not even remote that weren't seen in the U.S. They did they did they there was a barrage of trailers in media that the U.S. never even received for this movie. Computer
0: maker Lenovo, chip maker Intel. I, Intel wasn't doing shit with it here. I don't think I don't remember seeing it. Nope. Uh Jeep over there, uh, an insurance company, a brewing company. Yeah, Sing Holy same Tower. How you pronounce it? Yeah. So we're talking like. Like, whenever you see, like, the James Bond movies come out, you see, like, a beer commercial, you see a car commercial, you see a watch commercial. Think of that, but, like, multiply that by eight. <laughs> Orcs wearing watches yes. and drinking a, a, a cold brew. Uh, Holy crap. Oh, let's see, what else? Uh, Sunday was deemed a normal working day in China, so... Da-da-da-da. What they're basically getting at with that is even with – they tend
1: to launch these on holiday weekends and for some reason that, that Sunday was not considered part of the holiday and it still did
0: that much money. So, oh, they were several pieces of China, China-specific China footage that was cut uh, for that market. Huh. For the trailers? Yes. That's what I was saying. That's, that's very smart.
1: So, you know, what this means is on a global level, depending on what they put in and what it does elsewhere – um, there very much is a market for a sequel to this movie that no one thinks is going to get made. But you're well, Now only, it is. But, yeah, but you're only looking at the U.S. market. You look at what this has done in China and what this will end up maybe doing worldwide, although I don't necessarily see it doing fantastic in other markets, you will get a sequel to this. Maybe lower budget, it may be... Uh, Focused entirely on, on the Chinese market, but you are going to see this story come to
0: some sort of conclusion. It made uh, one hundred fifty-six million in the first days in China. Jesus, that's insane! It did more than Star. It did more than Star. Imagine if Warcraft did more than Star Wars in the U.S. <laughs> that would be Arm of Fucking getting. yeah. At that point, you'd have bats flying out of hell creeks in this middle of the street. Mm-hmm. So, but in the U.S., it bombed. So, so it's it's a lesson. It's it's a lesson times two. First lesson is yes. Now. Uh, the Chinese market, since there's a, a billions of people, literally, uh, is hugely important to movies. They're, 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 not, they're not really communists anymore. They're, they're capitalists, quasi-capitalists. They see all the money-making opportunities. They like money. Money brings the world together. We're going to start making movies more in mind with, with China in mind. Whether it's the opposite, though, whether China, the Chinese market starts making money movies for the U.S. market, I don't see that happening as quickly, but if it wasn't for China... You would not see another Warcraft movie ever again. You would not see a huge, epic video game movie ever again. They still might be gun-shy. Because here's the deal, folks. When we say that it's roughly, for a movie to be successful, you have to to make at least twice the budget back. That's U.S. really when you think about it. Because I don't know the ins and outs of the foreign market as much, but I'm pretty sure that movie uh, studios don't make as much money off of foreign ticket sales in the U.S., Make, okay. I think they make more in the U.S. Someone in the comments can correct me if I'm wrong. So they have to do more gangbusters overall in the foreign market to make back the same amount of money. Gotcha. So, so this 156 million it's might impre- not be
1: as important as we think it's it is. Still impressive. It, it's impressive, but it doesn't necessarily but mean
0: as that much. that may not mean an 80 million dollar to legendary studios making the movie. Maybe it's only 60 or okay. like 50. I don't know. Um, so overall, as of the 13th. Uh, the movie's made $280 million, uh, foreign and domestic, on a 160 budget. It's got to hit at least 320 plus whatever the marketing budget was, was for a movie, this is probably $100 million, maybe $80, let we will say 80 to be safe, but I'll say $100. It's, this movie's got to make, oh wow, it's got to make probably, let's see, 350 times two, 700 uh, or excuse me, two fifty times two five we'll say five or six hundred million has to make to be successful.
1: But if they don't hit it, they're, my, they're, mean, not gonna, like, they're not gonna hit they're it. They're not gonna hit it, but but that my question is still, do you think they saw enough success in China then to still turn out a sequel but focus all of their effort on China instead of elsewhere? Which means a smaller marketing budget, which means maybe a smaller budget for the
0: movie overall. Well, you have to use the same character you have to appeal to, you have to appeal to the US market already because you're gonna be using the same characters, the same story. You can't just abandon it. Sure. You because know, okay. trilogy, you, I think what that means is uh, they have to, yeah, you, they'll have to tighten the budget. That's probably, yes. they'll have to do that. They'll have to maybe not have it, but maybe cut it by a third. Which is crazy for a movie that got panned for looking like shit all the way through. And by the way, the official runtime uh, Rotten Tomatoes was rolling, it was two hours, three minutes, it was an hour 40. Two hours, three minutes. Supposedly they cut like 40 minutes out of it. So it was this huge, epic thing. What <laughs> you give me that look for Because I can't fucking fathom sitting through that. For two for that and a half hour. hours? Yeah. Like Lord of the Rings? Holy well, shit. But at least it might have fleshed the story out. So so people getting on me for, oh, it did so well. It's like it still didn't do well in the U.S. It bombed here. It officially bombed. Yeah. And uh, Be lucky that the marketing blitz in China was insane or else you're not going to get it. You still might not get a sequel. You still might not get it because it's still not profitable at this point. Um, It may not be profitable. They might consider, they might take into consideration all the sponsor money they got though, and all the merchandising. And then they might have accumulated some small profit. Like you said, yeah, we'll we'll do, we'll try another one. It's enough to try again. Or maybe uh, uh, Blizzard says, okay, we want this franchise to continue. We want more money into here. We want to put more money. But also let you know that this movie's been in development for so long, the prime time has passed. They should have released this. This should have came out eight years ago. I think Sam Raimi was attached at one point. Yeah, he was. Way back. Yes. If this came out in 2008, this would have done $100 million, Maybe. Even if it was shitty. Because, you know, maybe not it, that much. It would have done a lot better. It could, have had,
1: it could have had Batman vs. Superman reviews and still done a decent amount of money if this was during the height of its popularity.
0: Yes, in the U.S. So, if you're lucky almost that, well, the Chinese market saved it. They just got... The, the, the PC game is still fresh to them, so that helped out. So, it's like, oh... Uh, the ebb and flow of one, but but usually a movie will always do more more business in the U.S. Uh, this is a really weird exception that ended up saving the movie from being a total disaster financially. All right, so Hank Green is a uh, a YouTuber I'm not fully familiar with. Uh, he has done is a channel called Vlogbrothers. Uh There's educational YouTube channels he has called Crash Course and SciShow. Sure is a nice guy i sure he has way more followers than I will ever have on YouTube. He came with an idea for this Internet Creators Guild. So what this is going to be is a non organization. And its mission is going to be sort of to guide YouTubers in this new age. Because now, uh, obviously, making stuff on YouTube videos, making content, entertaining. To a lot of people, that's how they make most of their income, or at least a large chunk. Right. So, this is the first organization of its kind that's coming out like this. Uh, There's an announcement. I'll I'll read through some of the announcement. But this will be a paid membership. It's not a union, it's a guild. It's going to be membership as low as $5 a month, meaning to me that it could be higher tiers, maybe if it's monthly. I don't know. There's not a lot of details right now. But since it's the first of its kind, I want to go through this. So, Hank pointed out that there are, let's see, at 100,000 views a month, you're still making a fairly significant bit of income from YouTube if you can do it consistently about 2500 per year. And uh, that's a l- lot of people on YouTube. That is tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people. I believe, I much believe much. actually in the article somewhere it says that's about 300,000 people a month who hit that mark. Yeah, there it is, 300,000. Oh, I, was, I was right without even reading the article. Hundreds of thousands of people. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, that's, that's not... $2,500 a year is not chump change even if it's just a hobby. Yep, put out a few videos a month in my spare time. That's hundred. That's 100,000 views a month, uh, according to uh, him here. And that's... Ooh, is that accurate? Ooh, I don't want to start nitpicking this, this, this uh, close. I'll have to look at the numbers more later. I'll trust him, though. Okay. There's a lot that goes into CPMs, so but if it's an average, I guess that's fine. I'll trust him. He's a huge YouTuber. Okay. So the problem is, is that... Uh, according to Hank, there's no system, is in his words, no system for protecting creators, many of whom have no experience in any industry, let alone the notoriously cutthroat entertainment industry. He's got a good point because uh, the entertainment, the the traditional entertainment industry, has taken over YouTube. Uh, you have big companies like Disney, CBS, uh, how, how their claws in it, and the the big money's in it. They bought out a lot of the big uh, uh, the networks on YouTube. It's it's really compacted. There's still not a lot of crossover but all the, the the traditional entertainment people have that, the money in right. youtube so so he wants to he wants to uh create this guild to help people out
1: it seems like they want to um I don't know. Shepherd the the, the newbies into sure. in, into into it. Some of the things that they want to do: they want to um, share stories and strategies from creators that will be available only to members. Um, they want to act as a bridge between creators and platforms and advise platforms how to best ser- serve creators. Um, clarify the role of new products and developments in the world. Advise conferences, advise conferences and events on how to create great conversations, show useful information on everything from dealing with stalkers to understanding your audience. That's a pretty big one. Um, Foster diversity in online video content. Um, provide case studies of successful strategies for community building and monetization I could see that as useful for someone who's new um, provide and explain uh, sample contracts for sponsors managers MCMs merchants and, uh, merchandise and agencies I feel like that's also very important there's a number of other bullet points here that I yeah. feel like are a bit more fluffy
0: yeah I'll go through a few that are kind of weird to me but some of the things they will not do they will not get into the game of picking and choosing what kind of content is or is not good for the world that's good that's left up to the individuals to decide whether, because otherwise the IGG will become the Internet Morality Police, which sounds like an awful job. Uh, they will not rile up angry mobs. I don't know who would ever consider that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they want to work with all stakeholders. They will amplify voices, and it will take positions. I'm interested to know how that would actually work in actuality. Sure. But it will always strive to understand the complexity of these issues, explain them to members, and work with other stakeholders to move forward. I'm not sh- That's one of the that's I'm a little kinda, vague. It's very vague. That, does that mean you're gonna you will spotlight uh, people producing content maybe with a with a social issue that you agree with or a political issue? I don't understand how that how do you amplify voices if you're trying to stay out of content? The content itself, that's- yeah, it
1: was it was that the will not do thing
0: is not actually very clear cut. This is good. They, well this is good that they will not do this because this is not their place. Tech support, good. Yeah, thank not you. sure what's wrong with Premiere. Your is take too long. That, that's not that's not what they're there for. How that is in. Incredibly fucking
1: smart of them, because uh, I that- <laughs> that's where all the time and effort we go. Yeah,
0: so you know my my YouTube's been down. It's like, well, we're not YouTube. Yeah, so let's back up. They they got they got like a fifty thousand dollar grant uh, to start this. Um, from VidCon because VidCon is a uh, it's actually the same uh, weekend as uh, Too Many Games. VidCon's the biggest sort of YouTuber event. It's mostly it's, it's focused on mostly non-gaming stuff like, like, like the traditional like vlogging and things of that nature mm. like whatever because gaming's so huge on YouTube it's like everything but that just about um, they announced some of the, the, uh, the executive and some of the board I, I personally know one of the people on the board uh, Satchel uh, Drake's uh, bags, he does some good content he's on normal boots uh, one of these other people looks familiar she was an Ant-Man at the end Okay, I remember she was on the park bench talking to uh, to Falcon at the end. I still um, haven't seen that man. Oh, nice for you? Sorry. Uh, she's a big YouTuber. I don't know the rest of these people offhand. Oh, here we go. Satchel Drake's. Yes, I know him. He's in New York City. Uh, let's see. Anna Akana. I believe she was in. Yeah, I believe she's a. Yeah, I think she was a one. Uh, Jonathan Katz, an entertainment lawyer. Ashley Mardell, a vlogger. Wenji, an Asian lifestyle influencer. Not sure what that is. Um, Aaron Wayne is the lead community manager at Twitch. Oh, that's interesting. Coming on board for that. Uh, Ashley Mardell is a vlogger, and Owen Rogers, comedian, filmmaker, animator, and entrepreneur. And they have an advisory board of five people, which I won't get into right now. And Hank and Hank uh, Hank Green's on the advisory board. Okay, a lot to, a lot to digest here. Um, I, I have a few questions. Let's just make this clear. A nonprofit doesn't mean people don't make money. A nonprofit just means that any money made in the venture goes back into the nonprofit. Right. It doesn't get dispersed out to stakeholders. Uh, people don't traditionally get bonuses, I don't think. people. The people on the board uh, probably get compensated. Yes. The people uh, working for this get compensated. They have to. It's a business still. So that's one thing. That's why they have to charge money. People are getting paid. The people helping out putting together their material. I'm guessing they probably have their own website, their own YouTube channel. They're going to be putting out the do's and don'ts of, of maybe uh, agreements, uh, MCM contracts that could be kind of fishy or could be tough. I've heard really awful stories of MCMs locking people down to 10-year fucking contracts, things of that nature. It doesn't happen as much, but this stuff has happened in the past. So there is a reason for something like this to exist. My question is, should it be in this form? That, that's the, the more overlying issue. The fact that you have to have a, a $50,000 grant to get this going you have to have the membership to keep it floating. So fifty thousand to get it off the ground—that's fine. You have to hire people, infrastructure, tech, people creating the the writing, creating the media. That's fine. Uh, how many people do they need to keep this afloat? to to, get, to buy into the membership. That's a big question.
1: That's my huge... I, I don't feel like this is necessarily a bad idea. Now, if you go through their 11 bullet points of what they aim to provide, I would say maybe five of those are things that I find that would be useful to someone new. There's but, one
0: glaring one I'll get to, by the way, but go first. But I really
1: just... That's the thing. How many people are going to look... This is so new. How many people are going to look at this and be like, yes, I trust this to help me enough that I'm going to put my money into it and I feel like they're going to need a lot of people up front who are like, yes, I need to do this.
0: Well, let's. Here's. A, and are they doing something that isn't found elsewhere? That's the key. Because Google themselves does. They don't have all this stuff, but for example, number nine provide case studies of successful strategies for community building and monetization. Uh, Google does have these little, like, helpful, and uh, they're available to creators, like, you know, like. Uh, Like building up your fan base or your content brand and things to look out for, having consistent content. Uh, Our buddies, uh, Kevin Lieber, Mm -hmm. uh, Andre Meadows, they have appeared in some of these videos. Some of this information is out there. You just have to find it. You just have to go out and find it. Maybe it won't be as in-depth in this, but there are a lot of uh, videos out there that even Google helps put out to sort of give you the ins and outs. At least How how do you build the brand? What does that even mean? How often should, should you put out content? What are the ins and outs of, of video link? Things of that nature. Some of this content, some of this advice is out there. It's definitely out there with other YouTubers spreading it to each other. Or people, if you have a good MCN, if you have a, a good MCM, there should be people on that MCM that will tell you some of these things. And right. will look out for you. That's you what, sh- you that's should have
1: your, your big brothers and sisters who are going to
0: kind of uh, take you under their wing. That's the point of having a good MCN. Is to say, you know... This is how this is how you grow your your YouTube channel. This is what you look out for. You should be putting out content consistently, maybe once a week. Every Monday you put out content. You know, you, you should your videos shouldn't be three hours long. No one will watch them. That'll kill your channel. Things of that nature. Um, so that's the, the the bullet point there. Some of these, like the you unify, unify the voice of online creators to create change. I have no fucking clue what that means. Yes, yeah, uh,
1: that, that, that's yeah. what I mean when I say fluffy. Like that doesn't really mean anything.
0: Uh, no. Um, sharing useful information that's good. Again, that could be something you can find elsewhere, but if you have it all in one place, that's I
1: think the sample contracts and things like that, what to look for, what not to look for. What, What it kind of comes down to is, are you willing to pay the money per month for the convenience of having it all in one spot?
0: However, the one glaring, and maybe they'll look into this more, the one thing that is not here that is the most essential, and it goes back to we talked about it in the last uh, podcast copyright. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That okay, is obviously the, the one biggest pitfall and the one biggest issue on uh, throughout all of YouTube is uh, fair use, copyright. How to navigate the pitfalls? What to do if you get a, get uh, someone trying to say that you're using their content when you're really not, or you're using it unlawfully when when it really is fair use. There's nothing here with that. Jesus, Brandy.
1: I, I mean, you're absolutely 100% on that. I mean, yeah, that is a huge oversight, and probably the...
0: Like, that should probably be YouTube 101. However, maybe if they if they included that, maybe, maybe they figured they couldn't help as much. Let's put it this way. You now have that FUPA fund, which... <laughs> the name is funny as hell. Yes. That fund, which, in theory an organization like this would have you think would have something like that or want to work towards something like that mm-hmm. maybe but but would you want let's put it this way would you want a non-profit even if it's a non would you want them having control of, of funds like that I would still trust a, a third party to have control of funds to help all you YouTubers I, I think so because for something like an internet creators guild where it's a membership maybe then if, if you're a member then we'll look out for you but if you're not a member we're not we, we, we won't protect you so maybe they want to stay out of that. Maybe it's yeah, smarter to that's, stay out of that's that. That's actually. Probably, I'm just thinking out loud it's right
1: a now. Good, no, I know we're just spitballing. I mean that that's. Yeah, because you don't want to be that those people who take funds from someone who's going to help anyone who who runs into this problem, provided that they can provide the case, and then say oh, members only. Otherwise one of those, you're screwed.
0: One other huge question: uh, Would this have been perfect for a Kickstarter?
1: Sure, but if they got the money from someone who's already willing to put it up then it doesn't matter
0: absolutely but if they're saying we're starting with fifty thousand and we're, we're gonna start with at the very bottom five dollars month which could be mean it could be more maybe they need more funding to get it really off the ground
1: the way they explained it was five dollars basically to start but as any uh, guild they said as any guild operates, the dues can rise over the years, depending on what they feel they are providing.
0: I, I would be more comfortable uh, because what if this disappears after a year or two with no membership? Sure. So does the money? Say, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I always got to think worst-case scenario with something like this. Say, say I, I put in uh, my five bucks a month, sixty bucks a year, and then other people do it too. What if What if a thousand people do it? What if 500 people do it? And something like this is going to be—you're probably going to be really hard pressed to find people that are going to give in this much money to us start. What if all these people do this and it's gone after a year? That's why I'm really—I really—they really have to be transparent about what what is their what what you need need for an operation budget.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like they really have to be upfront with that. And I think that Indiegogo or Kickstarter, Indiegogo—you can do nonprofits at Indiegogo. We've used yes, it for Daniel's Um I think that I think that would have been a better start, at least to me personally. It would have been like, okay... This Maybe
1: is... raise the budget and then be like, okay, this is what
0: we can provide with the budget then, we have. And then the stretch goals would make perfect sense. Sure. Because bas- what they're basically saying here is stretch goals. They're basically saying, we're going to do more stuff, and then charge you more potentially yes, when we do more stuff. That's exactly what an Goes for. Mm-hmm. Or Kickstarter. Yeah, I think it probably would have been better to see what
1: kind of budget they could have gotten instead of just taking a static amount. Plus, you, and would, then have, you would have gauge actual actual interest. interest. That's true. I think that so, probably would have been so the better I'm best. not.
0: I'm not poo-pooing this idea... In theory. No, I think in theory it's a good idea. Uh, It's just in practice. I just have to see. It's just to be really careful about how this sort of gets out. This can't stumble out of the gate. If it stumbles out of the gate, um, the viability, I think long term, it will be questionable. They really have to have all their ducks in a row, I think, in doing this. But I wish them luck and hopefully a lot of people get help. A lot of useful information out of this. And hopefully in the coming months we'll see more more solid points on what this actually, how it's going to be structured. Q&A time on the CU Podcast. (laughs) At Ninjophile. My game collection is starting to scare me. Like, literally? Any advice on how to start getting rid of some of it? I'm a little clingy. (laughs) Okay.
1: The first thing is, uh, I would say, is maybe stop having uh, too much of a sentimental attachment to inanimate objects. Easier Um, said than done. Yeah, it is. Uh, and and it's gonna kind of fly in the face of what I say in, in a minute, but first of all, you have to realize that these are just games a lot of what you have is not expensive, and can be gotten back if you truly miss it Um, that's something that I needed to realize when I started to get rid of my NES collection Um Realize that most of these things, not all, but most of these things are obtainable again with very little effort Um When you're looking at the games and you're looking at what you can get rid of, don't pick up a game. When you pick up the game, you have to look at it and say, "Can I live without this?" As opposed to, "Do I want to get rid of this?" If you're going through a stack of games and you're like, "Do I want to get rid of this?" You will find every reason to 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 kind of hold on to it. But when you ask, "Can I live without this?" You have to look at your sentimental attachment. Are you actually playing it? Was this a gift from someone? Um, you know, find find good reasons to hold on to it. And I currently play this game a lot is a perfectly fine reason. But if you're trying to cut down your collection, you get to that is loaded too. You can get that again if you really decide you need it for two dollars, and three star game. And you can get rid of it. Um, in a heartbeat, I, I, I think a lot of it is, is, is getting rid of the emotional attachment to some of this stuff. You, and I'm not saying the attachment to something that was given to you, but the emotional attachment you have to your collection if you're trying to cut stuff out. Um, your, your, your your collection is not something with feelings. It's, it's not going to be hurt. Uh, 75% of your collection is going to be affordable to get back if you really decided, hey, I didn't want to get rid of Danny Sullivan's Indy Heat.
0: Never heard of that game before. No, not once. Um, hmm. I think you have to decide what. First of all, what is your reason? Is it because it's not taking up enough space or too much space? Is it a monetary reason? Um, like, why is it scaring you? Is it the money? If it's the money, you have to realize that hey, maybe having money to pay my rent is more important than owning an entire NES library. Yep. Or maybe I want to go on a few vacations a year. Instead of spending that money on new retro games. Yeah. think, Try to think a little long-term. or Think short-term, medium-term, long-term. What's going to make you the happiest? And rationalize it that way. Maybe you create a few different piles. Games I must always have. And games maybe I don't give a shit about as much. And then start from there. Start with... It could be that... I know this is tough. Start with a few games. And see if you can just deal with getting rid of a few games. What happens if I sell, sell uh, Dash Galaxy in the Alien <laughs> Asylum? Will well, I, the world does not end. Well, well, yes. Will the world end in a couple weeks? Will I feel the itch to buy it back? Or then maybe I, I sell off a few more. That's basically what you started to do with your NES collection.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I dipped my toes and I tested the water. I sold off a few games to see how bad I felt about it when I realized that I didn't care. The whole collection crumbled. You test the psychosis. Yes. And, and if you win, you win. When I sold off a couple of Neo Geo Pocket Color games... I went back and bought them back about five months later. So I was like, okay, this is a collection I don't get rid of. Oh,
0: okay. And then maybe you keep the rare ones then to start. To be like, okay, I want to keep uh, uh, Godzilla 2. Sure. And be like, alright, that, that one might might be cost me a little bit more, but I'll get rid of uh, Godzilla 1. Isn't as much money. It's more common. Totally different games. You can look at a certain guidebook to see the differences. One's a, one's a strategy game, one's a, a you know, Action title with some beat em up, ele- uh, you know, fighting elements. Anyway, um, <laughs> try to make that natural. Because uh, I'm going to get there soon. I always said, Genesis, I'm looking at Super Nintendo and N64. Yeah. Those you, were going to cut, be cut down at some point. You don't fucking
1: touch them. Ever. I touch these. <laughs> Sometimes, but generally just in a sensuous way. But I mean, honestly, I don't remember the last time you told me you played a Super Nintendo or a Genesis game. But Ballistics, I'll always keep. Well, I mean, it uses the same cover art as a Judas Priest album. So. Oh,
0: does it really? Yeah. Did they just steal it wholesale,
1: or they actually? No, I believe it? it was originally done for that, but probably not licensed out entirely for it. Because
0: this will be harder to get again. Yes. And plus, I had it. I loved TurboGrafx-16. You play it all the time. Don't you? Don't you give me that smug look? <laughs>
1: I owned it. As a Every time I call Pat, he's like, "I'm playing turbo."
0: I was doing work. <laughs> All right. Uh. Da, 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 da. Uh. At Josh Lucas, what are your thoughts on the new PS4 exclusive Spider-Man? L- looks like it could actually be good. So I don't think normally we'd we'd field questions
1: like this, but I I, I think it looks great. I think it can be good, and there's a reason why. Um, Marvel is behind it. I mean, they're really behind it. It seems like they're behind it in a way like they would be behind a a, a Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe well, movie.
0: I mean, Disney's behind it.
1: Um, and they don't want this to fail. I think that we are kind of at the point where, hey, if superhero movies can be good, then so should superhero yeah. video games.
0: Let's not just license the fucking property after some asshole doesn't know what the hell they're doing.
1: Because why shouldn't they be good? It should be incredibly fun to play. Did as... Sega
0: make some crappy ones in the past? They made some good ones too.
1: Um, well, they should be consistent. Though. Yeah. But, you know, you've got. You you've got you've got companies like um Sucker Punch that made uh the infamous games which were essentially superhero fantasies that were done perfectly yeah. fine. Now you've got Insomniac games behind this, behind Ratchet and Clank, uh, you know, and other great games where they've built whole worlds and there's no reason why it shouldn't be fun to play as Spider Man. In a video game, um, I think that this actually does stand a good chance of being fairly quality, and if this is going to be the torch, uh, the torchbearer for um, superhero-based video games. I think we could see a lot of good things. The thing that really needs to be done away with for superhero video games to be good is they need to stop being tied to movies yes. and they need to stop being released day and date with movies. You need to have a Spider-Man video game that is just a Spider-Man video game. It can't be a Spider-Man Homecoming well, video game because that's going to suck. It just needs to be a Spider-Man video yeah,
0: game. Yeah, don't worry about the getting sales off the t- promotional tie and just make a good fucking game. Right, exactly. Uh, the only exception would be, I think it was at that second uh, uh, Spider-Man game That came out on PS2, which kind open of, world one Which which still people s- say was great
1: Yeah, and sort of disregarded the movie And that's why it was great, it gave you this huge open world That you know, web around and swing around in um, So yeah, I do think It could be good, I think the trailer looks good It's, 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 it's a little difficult to judge From video game trailers this early But um, I would love to see an era Where we get some good superhero video games I think that would be fantastic
0: like if, you got, like, if you got, like, an Avengers game where, like, you had to go around the world and it was kind of like you could make your own decisions, imagine that. That'd be well, awesome. He- here's an excellent like, example. Have... Uh, Lego has made a billion Lego? superhero games.
1: And yeah. you know what? They're all freaking good. You know why? Because they're not really tied in with a movie or anything like that. They let a team take a property... And build something out of it And the Lego games are obviously more aimed at kids But adults have fun playing them too But now if you make something that's in the The realm of video games Target audience And you do it with the same quality y- You could be looking at something fantastic
0: Key is a good Spider-Man game I think you have to have it open world in, in New York mm-hmm. At least semi-open world with some randomness Some stuff you can do on your own you have, re- Stop burglars and alleyways yeah. The web swinging has to be good has to be intuitive because I remember playing the, I think what, what, one of the what, Spider-Man game, the original PlayStation. J- Jesus, that web swinging was awful. I remember. Oh yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. was just like, holy shit! If you can if you can put two together, you were lucky. Like two web swings together at that game. Wow, I, I haven't played. Wow, was not it. Play People still too?
1: love that game too. The original one, they buy it like ninety nine.
0: I mean, the combat and whatnot wasn't awful, but yeah, the web swinging wasn't very good. Combat. Uh, the the fighting has to be. The fighting is actually at this point the Spider-Man fighting style they pretty much have down. I think in these games from mm. what I've seen. But you, you have to have a good weight to Spider-Man, how he moves. And this trailer looks like there's a good weight to him in terms of... His agility yeah. and how he would move,
1: uh, gymnastically.
0: Not totally sold on the outfit. Maybe that's how he's going to look in the next uh, more, uh, more, uh, next movie. I don't know, with the white insignia. Yeah, it's different. I don't hate it. It's just not traditional. But whatever, Spider-Man's had a lot of different outfits in the past. And uh, and plus, you got to have... I guess I like to see some... Don't you don't have to cram in every single Spider-Man villain? I know he has, he has he's got the, he's got the Rogues Gallery on on the Marvel side, but you don't need to cram in every single one to fit them all in. You, can, no. you know you can have some of the, give me the shocker here and there, some of the C or D villains. I love the shocker, the big wheel. I always wanted. Now I'm going to go off tangent. Just I I guarantee uh, this is how smart Marvel is going to be, because I always said this is how the rating film should be. The beginning of every Spider-Man movie ever made should be like a James Bond movie where you just cut in and he's fighting with a B or C grade villain for three minutes before you go to the intro. Yeah. Because you're never going to have a movie based upon the fucking Shocker. No. But you want to see him get his ass kicked. Yeah. That's the perfect way to do it. (laughs) Marvel, if you don't do this, I'm going to guarantee it that you're going to do this. It's a great idea. We want Shocker and, and Homecoming getting his ass kicked in the first two minutes. Yep. Next year, and right? will be so happy. He'll be there. Would we'll even have to? He'll even watch the rest of the movie. No, nope. after that, he'll just walk. Just shocker. At Jedi Sith, Patine, what's the best way to price games to sell so you're not giving them away or being a scumbag seller? Um, I mean my my general
1: rule is if I'm selling personally, and I I, I do this rarely, but I do it at conventions. Is you have to find that sweet spot where it's not worth it for a scalper. To buy your game. To try to make yeah. money off of it. But other than that. If I'm selling games. I'm not looking to make a fortune off of them. Because genuine, generally. generally selling off your doubles. And stuff you don't want. Even if you sold them for full market price. Is not going to net you enough money. To sit there forever and try to get, them, get rid of them. So you kind of fire sale them. But you got to make sure that. You're not giving them away. So the scalper will grab them. So I try to go. Anywhere, depending on the price of the game, it really does depend on the price of the game. From five to fifteen dollars lower than what the market value 80%. is. Percent? No, no, I mean, I mean, five to fifteen dollars lower than what the market value is, depending on what. Sure, you, I, I just don't know the percentage. I was going to say, head. if a game is ten dollars on eBay. Average sale price? What would you probably six? Because a scalper is not going to bother picking up a six dollar game to make four dollars off of it. Okay. If a game is going for sixty, I'll sell it for fifty because a scalper is probably not going to want to make ten dollars off of it. But, but it could 50.
0: make it could make twenty if it's at forty.
1: Sure, right. So that's kind of how I, I look at it. Is you, you you look at you you always want to price price it just so that it's not. It's not attractive to a scalper, and a scalper
0: is not going to flip something for ten dollars. Well, this isn't hmm, this isn't uh, this question doesn't really target whether or not you're at a flea market selling it, or a convention, or just selling it to a pal. I think there's different. Oh, there
1: there certainly is. I just I'm going from my experience. Like if
0: you're selling to a friend, if you know who the person is, you know they're not going to just flip your stuff. If they're going to flip your stuff, they tell you, that, I don't have a problem. They say, yeah, I'm going to resell it. Then, okay, whatever. Uh, sure, make make that 5% margin on it or 10% margin, or try to. But if it's a friend you trust, then sell whatever you want it to. Sell it for the price you bought it at. Yeah, I used to do that. Sure. I sold, it. I sold the diehard, I had a spare diehard, and he sold it to a guy for two bucks. He ended up selling it eventually, but... Well, yeah, i couldn't control that but I th- I uh, at I some point that. i think
1: the statute of limitations expires
0: okay it should be it should be more than a year yes That's it should it
1: should definitely
0: be more than a year um uh sure um if you're at a convention you got to be careful some conventions are more careful than others about not liking the sellers to run around and buy stuff to to basically, to flip or scout. I seem to remember
1: Portland being pretty good about that.
0: They're pretty good, but you can never totally avoid it. I had yeah. people, I had one seller in particular, buy, I think I had two uh, Mario Kart 64s like three or four years ago, and they bought both of them before uh, other people had a chance. I was like, well, oh, I, I must have had those really cheap because I ended up at their table. <laughs> exactly.
1: Well, you that's know. the thing you do have to be careful of, and that therein lies the problem yeah. with actually what I just said is, if a game is valued at 70 market. And you decide you want to sell it for fifty-five or sixty because you think that's not good enough for a scalper to flip it. Mm-hmm. No one's stopping that scalper for selling it for eighty to ninety at a convention where you have a closed audience with money in their pockets who just want stuff.
0: They're taking the risk they can sell right. it for that. They still might not, but they're, they're, it's different with convention because convention also sellers try to some try to mono, uh, mono, have a monopoly on certain sort of games. Like they they know that okay, there's five sellers have uh, Smash Brothers at sixty bucks. But if we have 10 of them, we have more, we can sell it for more. If I want
1: to become one. known at, uh, as the guy at conventions who has the monopoly on Mahjong games. Um, a Mahjong games? Yeah. Yeah. One, one person might visit me every year. Did I give
0: you the Mahjong game past month? I thought someone gave one to give to you. Yes. Yeah, I did? Yes. I think I have it somewhere. Yes, I think so. Okay. We've, got to find, we've got to find the uh, Hong Kong Nintendo Mahjong game. That's our goal. Yeah, that's, 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 that's my, is, ho- is, that's is my grail. holy grail. It is holy grail. I won't say where you can learn more, more about that game, but a certain NES guidebook has information <laughs> on that game. That was one of the last things I, I made to that book that changed. All right. <laughs> this
1: is from Cowman. Ooh. What role do events like the Mario Marathon play in supporting retro gaming?
0: I think they're they're good in helping it bring more into the mainstream gaming culture, because even uh, like the Mario Marathon does uh, gangbusters every year, and... I think they get a lot of attention from people that probably wouldn't normally care about, maybe, Mario games that are 20, 30 years old. But it's a fun event. It's a chance for them to see those games and be like, okay, you know, let's watch some Mario games I probably would have haven't played or maybe I think about them once a year because I'm just a current gen gamer, you know. it's
1: It's a trip down memory lane, I think, for the people who don't Um, actively play retro games they see something like this, they know about it they hear about it from friends because holy crap did you see that these people are raising this amount of money by playing fucking Mario Brothers? And they go and they watch and you know what, that might spark an interest in going back and playing those games for those people and that's very cool Um, I think as time wears on the impact is less and less when the Mario marathon first started, or even when we did that, our silly first NES marathon, um, where boy, were we silly with that idea. Um, the
0: first one, that was a case of, of Pat being way too, uh, eager to try an insane idea out without thinking, it right.
1: Something. um, Oh, my God, we cleaned all those cartridges for no fucking reason. Yes, we
0: pre-cleaned it for no reason. It took two (laughs) weeks. I was was dumping off boxes, (laughs) like, one shelf at a time for Ian to clean. I was cleaning myself. It was insane so first year. Be anyway right I,
1: I i do think back then that these uh these things really um catapulted some retro gaming into the spotlight for certain people nowadays i don't think it really has much of an effect at all retro gaming is as popular as it's ever been um i mean since the days that these consoles were relevant uh but i i i mean i would be lying if i said i don't think every year that the mario marathon gets someone else to be like hey I'd love to go back and play those uh, one way or another.
0: Yeah, it's important. Mario Marathon started 2008. NES Marathon started 2010. Um, when did The speed run, speed run marathons probably started in the past few years. Uh,
1: all games done quick or whatever. I think
0: those are three, four years old, yeah. So we're looking at, in 2008, 2010, lesser known. Past few years, a lot better well-known. By the way, Mario Marathon uh, is coming again uh, June 24th. Nice. That's so, soon. So I'll be sure to put this video out that day or before so you can check it out. Um, And they raise money for a Child's Play charity. There you go. Which we do as well. Well, what we used to. Oh, Child's Play.
1: No, I'm sorry. We do uh, Children's Miracle Network. We switch to
0: Children's Miracle Network.
1: And this is from Mm -hmm. Zen She-Hulk. Will E3 be around in five to ten years?
0: Yes, but in what form Form? will it be around? (laughs) Because now, uh, you know... No, they go from doing these big conventions. Nintendo doesn't do it anymore. They ha- hold their own events like across the street now. These big companies or around the area. Uh, do you need to pay you know tens of thousands of dollars to get a booth or hundred thousand dollars to get a booth to promote your games when you can just release videos on the internet? You know, like is it necessary for Nintendo to have to go? They, they, Nintendo didn't show off their new co- their new make or break console at E3 it's coming out 10 years year
1: 10 years ago it would have been at the forefront of what they Uh were doing um I I gotta disagree I I think in five to ten years we no we won't have E3 there there will be there will be a trade show there might be a yearly trade show but I don't think the point of that trade show any longer will be to show off new products or new games I think it will be a state of the industry sort of thing that is only interesting to industry professionals. I think it will go back to sort of what they tried with E3 a little too early in the mid-2000s when it became a press-only event that was held all over LA and oh, right. various hotel rooms and things like that. Um, they might revert to that? Yeah, I really do think it's going to revert to that. Did you see the pictures of the E3 show floor this year and how much empty space there were? No, I didn't. There, was, there were people who took pictures of it and it looked
0: fucking bad. I mean, it looked pathetic. So you think that the number of people just plummeted?
1: Yes, I, I honestly think in 2 to 3 years time E3 as we know it will be dead. I honestly my, cannot see how they're going to reverse this trend not because E3 necessarily did anything wrong, but because the way information is disseminated now just doesn't require a, a trade show like this. I went three, for the public.
0: I went 3 years in a row, 2011, 12, and 13. 13 was still pretty busy. So i am 3 years removed, so a lot can happen in 3 years obviously, yes. a lot. Let's 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 call it what it is. This is for trade show for reporters to come out to there, play their games, and report on them. Whether it's on the internet, for what's, what's a magazine, or their website. Well, that was, that, that's what that's, it became, but it was originally for wholesalers. And it still is, to a degree. Yeah, they have those backroom door deals that are weird and stuff. You can set up meetings for distributors, but it's really to show off new games and consoles. There's always going to be those medium and smaller sized companies off to the side that are going to sell stuff there. But that's not where most of the attention comes. So maybe it'll still exist for them. You know, for buyers and things of like right. that nature, but it's for it's for it's for media to get information. But we live in a, a virtual age where you can literally stream live content.
1: Nintendo may not always do the right thing, but Nintendo's Nintendo Direct, I think, is what we are going to see in the future. And They were the first to do it. Yes, and I think that's what we're going to see from all the big companies coming Microsoft up. And we're going to see a Sony Direct. We're going to see a Microsoft Direct. And when that happens. E three ceases to mean anything
0: because otherwise you're still putting on these weird stage shows where you're, you know, you don't have control over it. You can have tech issues. You got to deal with with people not pronouncing words right. You don't have control over the Wi Fi. You know what I mean? Like this shit can go wrong. You've seen all those Apple events in the past where stuff Mm -hmm. went wrong and Steve Jobs just went nuts. You know, like that stuff can happen. Nintendo produces a slick video on their own terms. They control the message exactly. They don't have to worry about any any bullshit. It's there's lower cost a lot lower, they don't have to worry about rehearsals, you know, and they can even have more fun with it. Doing the stuff with the puppets or hiring people yeah. to co- or they did a robot chicken, you know, stuff like that. It, it just, it just makes more sense because their audience isn't the people that are just coming to E3, their audience is the consumers directly at the end of the day. And, and
1: that's where the shift, that's where the shift was. When it became a consumer event, it mattered the most, I think, from like 97 to probably 2002.
0: So, yeah, it's going to contract. I think. Will Sony and Microsoft hell, Let's be honest; they have money to burn in yeah. their in their budgets. They might always have a presence because hey, we got to spend this extra fifty thousand. Might as well sp- spend it at E three, and we'll have our, have our workers have a good time and hang out in L A. And it's always going to be a place where people to intermingle in the industry, maybe.
1: Yes, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I it's I, I think we're going to see it return to this idea of a a, a closed off, a walled off. Industry convention. So it,
0: people off the street won't be able to get tickets anymore. Because, by the way, what, tickets are hundreds of dollars. I don't
1: even know that. The is street. there even still a public way to get
0: it? Oh but yeah, you pay to, hundreds oh, okay. of dollars.
1: I'm just saying that. Like I, I just see it as being specifically industry because I think all that new information that we've come to know e3 for is just going to be trickled out throughout the year.
0: Sure. Uh, I let's put it this way. I went three years in a row. I don't see a reason to ever go back. Sure. Unless I have a game to push, I want to try. To Our meet employees meet. this year turned down pre- free passes. They didn't want to go. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, yeah. A three-day uh, floor pass. $995. Fuck that. So, I got in free in the pass. Uh, press pass. There's no way I'd ever... And then, then there was, like, a YouTube... Like, they let YouTubers in, but you, you needed like, a minimum number of subscribers or views, so they clamped down on that. It was actually easier... I think it was easier, actually, to get into Comic-Con as a YouTuber than it was to, uh, to get into, I think, E3, I think. I'm not positive. At least, this was three years ago. So, yeah! Yeah! You want to go? You want to go play that uh, demo of uh, uh, Br- Breath of the Wild? You got a grand on you? Otherwise, gameplay video on YouTube's fine to me. All right. So uh, check us out on uh, Podbean. Well, if you're listening right now, you probably, probably you probably you you must. If you're listening to this right now, you must have subscribed somehow to either the Patreon, patreoncom sickle or you are listening on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes. So check us out there. If you want to sponsor us, it's uh, podcast at Uh And, uh, yeah, we're going to be at Too Many Games, June 24th to 26th. Um, and then we'll be at Comic-Con one of the days. Well, I'll be there three days at least, but we'll be doing a panel one of the days. One of them. I can't say now, but... When you get that program, or once the website comes up two weeks before, you'll see what day we're going to do a panel. That's going to be fun. Me and Ian got to brainstorm as we get back from uh, Two Minute Games about that. And then I'll be at Game On Expo early August. SoCal Retro Gaming Expo, August 20th, but more info on, on those events later. Frank will be there too. Frank, his first convention. Oh, it's going to be nuts. So for Ian Ferguson, love you. I'm Pat Contry. It's a fucking Friday and I'm recording. I should be having a burrito right now, and falling asleep watching *Forensic Files*. We can still do that. We can still do that. I gotta watch the uh, the five part thirty for thirty on OJ Simpson. It's supposed to be like oh, that's supposed to be really good. I think I think it's I think you can actually watch it online too, like the whole thing. So, all right, guys, we'll see you later. Thanks for two hundred thousand subscribers. Thanks for even being a part of the podcast. Go watch *Batman v Superman*. Donna Pat playing games. No, no. <laughs> that's not.